We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Five to shoot. Harris looks up. Gotta go. Brown knows it. He's got it. That's the shot. Got it. Maybe the one that will the game. You mentioned it. Big time dagger. First to drive to finish. Get the puppies organized. Fill it. Big time. Well, yeah. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Glenn Mack now along with Ray Dinger. Uh, Ray, uh, Nova took more daggers last night than uh, than Mack the Knife could have provided. <laughs> and with that, I'm sorry, I just tried to come up with something in the moment. That's okay. I don't, I don't know how many people will get that reference. Uh, but he is Ray Dinger. I'm Glenn Mack now in this rainy Sunday morning in the Delaware Valley, and yes, it was a tough evening for the Villanova Wildcats as uh, Kansas. They got out to a lead at the beginning of that game, Ray. What was it, 25 to nothing? <laughs> it felt like that. It felt oh, like that. man, it did. And Kansas ends up beating Jay Wright and the boys 81 to 65. And I got to tell you, at times, it really didn't feel that close. I never, I know Nova made a couple runs. Did you ever get the sense that the Wildcats were going to be able to grab that lead? No, I didn't. No, I think they cut it to six, um, which, I mean, I guess looks like they're back in the game, but you never really got the feeling that they were ever going to quite get over the hump. And, yeah. uh, you know, the game, that was not the way they wanted to play the game. You know, they wanted to – we talked yesterday a lot during the show about how the, the Wildcats wanted to play it, and pretty obvious. I mean, they wanted to – play at a slope they wanted to play at their pace control the ball uh keep the score down keep it close put yourself in a position where you could win it at the end uh and you know, the, ideally the, the ideal villanova game is usually played in the 50s maybe the 60s but if you thought if you had said if you had said to me before that well, Kansas is going to score 80 i would have said well villanova has no chance and that's kind of what happened you know Kansas jumped out 10 nothing and all, Villanova was playing uphill the rest of the way, and they just didn't didn't have the horses to pull it off. Correct. Uh, I have to tell you, I um, I ordered a pizza, and I sat down at the the snack table in front of the big TV, and the pizza arrived at six, Ray, and like by six twenty, I had indigestion. Mm-hmm. It just it just it, it was there. Um, and by the way, Kansas goes on to play North Carolina, who uh, had a gr- just a Great win yesterday over Duke of the Nightcap. Very exciting game. We're going to talk about that one more in just a minute. But, yeah, you, you kind of discussed this. Jay had a small guard-centric lineup, if that's a word, and it worked for him all year. And then last night, you know, six foot ten, David McCormick, 
Uh, as they say in Bull Durham, David McCormick announced his presence with authority. Mm-hmm. Led all scores, had 25 points, 10 of 12 shooting, monster first half. And uh, to kind of get back to what you said, Jay Wright said after the game, it was it was our game plan to not let him get going. Him is in McCormick. And we made some mistakes, but not being in contact with him, letting him catch and shoot, it was not our game plan going in. You go down 10 to nothing against a team that good, you're in trouble. Um yeah, they needed to. That no, Villanova needed to hit the threes. Uh, they needed to bank on great free throw shooting, which they had had all tournament, all season, and they they never really got the chance. They Ray, they couldn't get off a clean shot in those first ten minutes. No, they couldn't, and they did look um, they did look jittery at the beginning. I mean, one of the things one of the things that's fairly typical of a Jay Wright team is the team they don't turn the ball over, they don't make mistakes, they make their foul shots. They're very fundamentally really really sound. Uh, and in this game, they came out and they turned the ball over a bunch early, which is what accounted for the 10 nothing hole they found themselves in. And they could just never get out of it. You know, they, I think they had four turnovers in the first couple of minutes and that allowed Kansas to break out to that lead. And, you know, you say, well, 10 nothing early in the game. I mean, that's not that hard. Yeah, it is. When you're playing against a, a really good team, which Kansas certainly is, a team with a lot of depth, and you're shorthanded, um, it's, just, it's, it's just too much to overcome. And you know, the Cats made a couple of runs. I mean, they had a couple of runs where they got close. But as you said, even when they got it to six, I just never had the feeling that they had they had they they were taking control of the game. You always yeah, got the feeling that, you know, the next possession down, down the court, they're going to dump it inside to McCormick. He's going to get a basket or they're going to hit a three and they're going to restore control. The, you know, Kansas was in control really from the beginning of that game. And full credit to them. I mean, they're, they're a good team. They got a lot of good players. They got a lot of depth. They're well coached. And you know, they had had some moments in the tournament where they looked a little vulnerable. You know, they didn't play great against Miami. They played kind of okay to get past Creighton, Providence. You know, they hadn't really looked. That's one of the reasons why I kind of thought, you know, Villanova might have a chance here because I didn't think that Kansas looked like a super team through the tournament. They were shown in all of the games up to this point, they had shown you know, signs of a little vulnerability. Not yesterday. Yesterday, they played their best game. And Good for them. And if they play one more game like that tomorrow night, guess what? They're going to be national champions. Yeah, and they're big. Ooh, they're a big team, and they're well-coached, and their defense just smothered the, that full-court press. Colin Gillespie, who, who had a, a fine enough game, he had 17 points, um, hit five for eight threes, which is always a great number, um, but they forced turnovers, and, and that was that. And his career ends, great Villanova player, and that career ends. Um, and so that season ends, and then you get the second game of the night, Ray, and let's just play a highlight from that one. Love, top of the key. Oh, big time delivery. Caleb Love, um, that game, that second game, North Carolina against Duke was an instant classic, Ray, a a, a back-and-forth um demonstration of you know the best rivalry in college basketball uh, all the backstory with coach k uh in his final year in what proved to be his final game at a young team they weren't able to do it tar heels coming in as an eight seed into the tournament didn't we talk yesterday about how nova won the tournament as an eight seed back in 85 lowest seed ever to win yep well, maybe that gets duplicated as North Carolina North Carolina wins and Mike Shashevsky's legendary coaching career is over thanks to uh, Hubert Davis. First, this is Hubert Davis' first year there, right? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, how about that? 
Guess he didn't believe in the storybook narrative there. Uh, no, <laughs> apparently not. <laughs> Nobody gave him the script. Apparently not. I mean, he's uh, well. I mean, this is twice now. I mean, they you know Shashevsky's last game in Cameron in Cameron Fieldhouse, yeah. last the last game at Duke. Um, North Carolina spoiled the party that day, and then you get another shot at him here in the tournament, and Shashevsky has a chance to go out as the champion, and Carolina spoils it again. So yeah, I mean, these guys obviously are not into sentiment. These guys are these guys are not. Uh, they're not about. Uh, those kinds of storylines, they just they just go out and play. And uh, the last two the last two losses that Mike Shashevsky suffered, I mean, I can't imagine them being any more painful than than losing those those games with all of that significance and losing them to your most bitter rival. Yeah, it was great. I enjoyed it thoroughly. So I'm here, sure you so, did. Oh yeah. So I mean, listen, I was bummed out watching the Nova game. I I thought it was going to be a game, and it really never was much of a game. It was just disappointing. And then that's—I am an anti-Dukeite. I, I will get into that in a second. So I thoroughly enjoyed seeing that. Not as much, by the way, as our friend Mike Vrieswick, former Temple player, who posted last night on Facebook: "So long, rat face." <laughs> Mike might be bitter about a loss, what, thirty something years ago. But yeah, you know. well, that uh, the Duke uh, Duke ended Temple's greatest season. Uh, and uh, that was the Billy King team, our our WIP our WIP colleague, yeah. and uh, yeah, listen, I felt that one too. I mean, I was you know I'm a Temple guy, and that was that was a great Temple team, coached by John Cheney with a freshman Mark Macon, and they were number one in the country at one oh, point in that season. The the dream man, sure. and going into that you know, and going into that playoff, I mean, I, I had real hopes that they might actually win the thing, and and Duke just. Duke just took him to school. Are you an anti-Dukeite? Uh, not to the degree that you are. <laughs> yeah, but you're more moderate in everything. Yeah, that's generally true. So you are an anti-Dukeite. I am not a Duke fan. Let's put it that way. Oh, right. You're, you're evading. Your Honor, the witness is evading the question, right? <laughs> if I bring up to you Christian Leitner and Grayson Allen, those those shading, tripping plays he had a couple of years ago. And if I, if I bring up to you the Cameron crazies who refused to sit down and wave within three inches of <laughs> opponents, if I, if I bring up to you, Ray, that Duke fans have been known to chant, taunt, safety school toward opponents, and we're smart, you're dumb at uh, UNC players. Mm-hmm. If I bring up the, the, the arrogant sanctimoniousness of Coach K uh, and dressing down student reporters when he doesn't like their questions and his, his refusal to bench uh, Allen, Grayson Allen, for dirty play. Mm-hmm. If I bring up all of that and if I bring up all of the elitist Duke fans who travel this country telling everybody within four seconds of meeting him that I went to Duke, that blue-blooded embodied privilege ray if i bring all of that up to you does it resonate <laughs> not really. i'm just trying to play the middle here right <laughs> not, not really yeah not come really. on i come listen on. i have you know one of my best friends one of my best friends in high school uh, uh, a guy named frank ryan who was the best athlete in our class for sure future cleveland brown quarterback uh no different frank ryan <laughs> different frank ryan but it was the best athlete in our class by yeah. far was recruited yeah. by everybody mm. uh and a good friend of mine um i mean he he went to duke right. i mean he had, he had the opportunity he went there played baseball and football had a terrific career and then you know, and I, listen, I was I was rooting for Duke when Frank was there, and our well, and our mutual our mutual good friend, friend Brian Baldinger is a Duke guy, uh, and on. that's listen. I know 
I, I, Mike, Mike Golick, who I like, and he's a good guy, went to Notre Dame. Doesn't mean I have to root for Notre Dame. I can root for Mike and not Notre Dame, right? I don't have to root for the, the, the evil, the incarnate that is the thing. See, here's a difference between you and I. First of all, playing the one of my best friends cards, right? I expected more from you. But oh, here's it's the truth. What can uh, I okay. tell you? Well, that's fine, but that doesn't mean you have to like the school. Um, one of my friends went to Boston College, and that's, you know, because I went to BU, that's a rivalry. I hate him. But here, this is the thing. This is where you and I differ. You don't, um, you don't root against things in sports. You don't often root that much for it because you've kind of, you know, removed yourself from fandom, although we, we know that that's not always the case. But I would argue that in addition to the love of rooting for your team and the community that it creates, right? We're all here. We all root for the Eagles. It's what we share in the Delaware Valley. We carry this bond so that when they finally win the championship and 2 million people go to the parade, we are brothers and sisters. Correct. The other part of that is one of the fun aspects of being a sports fan is rooting against somebody in this town, obviously, the Cowboys, the Giants, the Mets. I mean, we know the, the Devils. We know the, the Celtics. We know the, we know the Hateds, right? Mm -hmm. Now, most of those are because they are a direct rival of one of our teams. College basketball, we talked last week about kind of the big five rivalries and how we all try to rise above it, that... You know, St. Joe's may hate Villanova during the season, but if they go to the tournament, sure, we're going to root for each other. That you know, we're we're brothers who fight, but in the end, we like each other. Mm -hmm. That but used to be you, true. I'm not so sure that it is, but it used to be that they didn't they didn't root for each other. or They did. Oh, I thought they did. I mean, back in the I think they do again now because okay. I think the rest of the Big Five has just kind of said uncle, and it's like the rest of the Big Five. I don't want to say isn't relevant. That's not what I want to say, but it's not competitive and so it's like nova's the only hope they got yeah i think that's true but even in the 60s and 70s when it was a much more uh level playing field among the five schools and the rivalry was very heated when they played each other um if one of the teams got on a run and got into the tournament and started winning some games you felt the whole city unite behind them i mean that was true even yeah, okay. in the days when the rivalry was a true rivalry yeah, and I think it's returned to that a little bit as much as people care about it. I don't think people care about it the way they used to, which is unfortunate. They care about the NCAA, but the Big Five doesn't carry what it used to. But but I think the city, but I think the people in the city do root for Jay Wright. I yes. think I oh, think absolutely. I think he is a I think he's a unanimously embraced figure in this city and should be. Great point. So, um, but I don't have a, 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 I don't root. Well, I didn't go to any of the Big Five schools, so I don't. I don't carry that same spirit either of love or animosity that I would have had I actually – I taught at St. Joe, but I never went to St. Joe. I never went to Temple. Mm -hmm. um, so I need an enemy. Part of being a sports fan is I need an enemy. And Duke is so easy with the smugness. And so I, I thoroughly enjoyed it last night. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I got to find – let me find Mike Rieswick's uh, tweet again. Let me find it here. Uh so long, rat face. <laughs> he took it well. Um, yeah, with Mike, Mike, give I us a call. Two one five five nine two nine. Hold on, I, I just want to put out a personal plea. I don't know what Mike Vrieswick is doing. Probably playing in a CYO game somewhere. But if you're not Mike, two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. I need you to to, to further the point. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, Ray. No, that's okay. I I had very I had very limited dealings with Mike Shashevsky over the years. I mean, just 
at my newspaper days interviewed him you know three or four times that yeah. was that was it so and he was always fine with me i mean i never i never had an issue with him but i i had seen I had seen film clips of him in other press conference settings where he was kind of snippy and he was kind of uh, condescending. I mean, I could see him be that way. With student reporters, too. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're kids. They're trying to learn the craft. Give them, cut them a break. The worst, the worst ever, the, the worst ever was Bobby Knight. I mean, he oh, well, was... Yeah. God, yeah. God, he was a miserable person. Yeah, and he he thrived on that. I mean, and he I, did, was, he did. Yeah. He he sort of he, he sort of gloried in it for some yeah. reason. It was a per, it was a perverse. There were a lot of perverse aspects to his personality, but one of them was that he really liked bullying reporters. I mean, yeah. that that was that was along a, with everybody. That was a game to him. Yeah, sure. And I I was uh, not that I was the bully, but I was in a room once when he was doing that to somebody, and I almost spoke up and said, "What?" But I didn't. Anyway, just okay. Uh, something, uh, something else. That game last night, and it, you know, Duke lost, but had Duke won or lost, it was a great game. It was a classic game. It was a thing of beauty. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Exciting back and forth. I don't think either team got ahead by more than five points. Uh, certainly in the second half, nobody did. And um, so I'm going to throw something in here. And I actually, uh, I hold on. I got to find it. I hold in my hand. A $25 gift card to the Conshohocken Brewing Company, uh, of which I think people know I am a part. Five suburban locations in Conshohocken, King of Prussia, Haverdown, Phoenixville, and Bridgeport. And we'll give one of these out today. I'll put it in mail for somebody. And here's the question. And I didn't really give you a lot of time to prepare, so if you want to think about it, you can. I'm going to throw one out here. The best game, and by the way, Moshe Kravitz, our producer, has to listen to this because I guarantee you a lot of people are going to get this wrong. The best game, best sporting event. Not involving a Philadelphia team, two ground rules, not involving a Philadelphia team, and not a title game, not the Super Bowl, not the NCAA final. This was the semifinal. The best game not involving a Philadelphia team, nor a title game, any sport, any level, last 10 years. Because I think the one last night is in the running. Really? Oh, I love it. It was a great game. It was a riveting game. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so you you got more enthusiastic about it than I did after the Villanova game. My interest level just <laughs> uh, it, it went way down. I mean, I was I I mean, it was I was sort of just watching it with one eye to be honest with you. I thought it was one for the ages. Yeah, I, I, mean, it, I, I rec- really did. I recognized it was a good and game. All the but, drama involved with it and the backstory, and it was it was a really well played game. No, I, to a large degree, I kind of checked out after Villanova. Sorry to okay. say, but I kind of well, did. I get it. I understand. But I watched every minute of that second game and, and really enjoyed it, and not just because Duke lost. I enjoyed it because it was high-level, great college basketball, an eight seed, right, knocking off the high seed. Uh, everything about it I thought was great. Um, so do you have, and if you're not, I'll give you one, which will surprise you, a game that you remember in the last 10 years, not a Philadelphia team, not a championship game. Um, no, nothing comes to mind immediately. Uh, I'm going to give you one, and it's going to be college football, right? Oh, yeah? Yeah. I'm going to go back to 2013, and I'm going to give, remember last 10 years, the Iron Bowl, Alabama-Auburn, 28-28. Nick Saban goes for a long field goal, and the kid on Auburn, uh, Chris Davis was mm-hmm. his name? Mm-hmm. Just standing uh, under the crossbar, catches it, 
109-yard return to win the game that was tied 28-28. Great game. I remember watching that game, and I'm not Mr. College Football and thinking this is one of the best games I ever saw. Yeah, well, I remember. That's that's actually a good one. I, I do remember that. I remember that game, and that was that was a classic. That that really was a classic. I mean, the, the SEC fans will – I still, we're going. To, well, they still talk about. It and they're going to talk about that one forever. That was and the rivalry, was great, the whole thing. Yeah, it, was, so, it, was, so, it, it had all the elements. You're right. Yeah. So that's what we're looking for: is a great game, any level, any sport. Can't be a championship game. Can't involve Philadelphia. Last ten years, somebody win the Conchi uh, Brewing gift card. And of course, remember, if you call about that, do Moshe Kravitz, our producer, a favor. Have something else that you want to talk about. We don't want people just to win prizes, which is why we don't often give away prizes. We want you to have a good conversation and then put that on. Let's get Dennis before the break. You're on with Ray and Glenn. Hello, Dennis. Hey, Glenn. Uh, I don't know. I was listening to your monologue about the Villanova game. Sounds like the way you guys are talking, it was a blowout from the start to the finish. And it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a blowout? They got down 19 points. They came back within 10 at halftime. And with five minutes left, they were down six points. Right. Now, yeah, but did, but but did you really feel that they that, yeah, that they yeah. were well, well? See, I didn't. Yeah, I, I really didn't. I, I mean, I knew they were that close, but I just had the feeling that Kansas was still in control of the game. I yeah, never but, really. I yeah, I know they made their runs, and I know they got the score down to six, but I I never really felt they were going to get over the hump. I just didn't. Yeah, but they lost their best player. Yeah, what brought that up? Well, that's, oh, that's, no that's, question. That's a whole yeah, different we, issue. We said that going that's into it. Good. Yeah. They hung in there. I'd expect them to win, but the guy they had who double digit, double rebound, defensive guy, but it wasn't a blowout from start to finish. Yeah, it was a blowout. No, it was. So yeah, it was a blowout. Here, here's here's my view of it. What's a blowout to you? A blowout. Oh, a blowout to me is when when you when you are down early in the game, ten to nothing, and you end up losing by sixteen points. That's a blowout. Yeah, but that's the last four minutes of the game. And the first ten minutes of the game. And here's here's how I view it, okay? Here's how I view it, Dennis. Okay? And and I get the feeling you feel like we're taking an anti Villanova stance. We're just kind of observing the game. They played they played bravely without their second best player, but they got blown out. I don't I don't think Jay Wright would disagree, but I view it that they got thrown off the wharf underwater. Finally, got above water for a little bit, tread water, and in the end—well, I hate the way I'm going to say this—but in the end, they drowned, and that's that they was were the, game. the game. Though. They were in the game with five. Well, okay, I, I yeah. don't, I don't, I don't think they were. See, I don't feel that. I, yeah, I don't nah, feel that I don't way. Think so. I mean, I was, I, you know, I, listen, I was rooting for them as much as anybody, uh, and when I saw them get to within six, I, I just didn't feel, I just didn't feel they were going to overcome it. I just, it, they just never felt to me like. That they were going to take control of the game. To me, to me, even at six points, to me, Kansas was still in control of the game. It really yeah. was. Yeah, and that's the closest you got. It's not like you were at six points for a long time. It's no, like you, you made. We all knew they were going to make some kind of run, some kind of push, and they made the push, and that's as close as they got. And then it, they kind of sunk below that water again. Uh, 215-592-9494, 215-592-9494. As we said, give us the best game, any sport, any level, not Philadelphia team last 10 years. Give Moshe Kravitz something else that you want to talk about. Coming up, the Ray Didinger NFL Draft Preview. What do we got today, Ray? Well, I uh, decided I was going to do defensive backs over this weekend uh-huh. since I think that the Eagles 
could use a little help in that area. So yesterday we talked about, I gave you my five best cornerbacks. Today yep. I'm going to give you my five top safeties. Uh, I would love it. The second coming of Brian Dawkins on the Eagles, right, Ray? Uh, I don't see one of them out there, no. All right, well, we'll, <laughs> we'll find out what you do see. Ray Danger, Glenn Mack now, Sunday morning on 94 WIP. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Right, Andrew Glenn Mack. Now, a couple things. Coming up at 11, we are going to talk for the first time to Alex Coffey, who is the new uh, Phillies beat writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer. Looking forward to catching up with her. And at noon, Derek Bodner of The Athletic is going to give – I'm sorry, no longer of The Athletic. Derek Bodner has got his own gig going on. Uh, is going to give us kind of his take on the Sixers. They had a big win yesterday. Ray, by the way, I had several people thank you, tell me to thank you, for uh, suggesting people bet heavily on the Sixers. Oh, yeah. Uh, these people followed your advice, and I think they made back all the money they lost on Hawaii all those years ago. That's, as I said, bet everything you got on the Sixers in this game. That, that, that to me, had blowout written all over it. And, indeed, it was. We'll also talk to Derek about the weird Ben Simmons grievance against the Sixers. Uh, so all of that is coming up. But right now, it is time for the Ray Dinger NFL Draft Preview. Well, yesterday we talked about uh, the top cornerbacks in this draft, and there are a lot of them. Uh, and, and in a draft that has a lot of really deep, talented areas, cornerback uh, is one of the best. I think the, the strongest area is still edge rusher. Uh, but there are a lot of really good cornerbacks, and we discussed five of them yesterday. I'm going to go to the safety position today, and I'm going to give you my top five. Uh, safety position, not quite as good as as a cornerback position, but still good. I would give that. I would give the safety crop a B this year, which is actually pretty good. Safeties tend to be a little up and down, um, not all that uh, deep and talented. This year's group is better than most, so I give them a B. Uh, and starting off, the number one guy, I think, by everybody's determination at this point, is Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame. Uh, he's, he's an unusual-looking safety in that he is so tall and lanky. Uh, he's 6'4". They list him at 220. He looks thinner than that. 
Uh, I know he was 220 because they've done the pro day and they weighed him, and that's what he came in at. But he, he actually looks skinny at 220. Hmm. Uh, but he's big. He obviously has tremendous range back there, and he can really run. He's a 4-4 guy. Uh, he's not gangly. He's not awkward at all. I mean, he's very graceful, and he's really, really good. He, uh, if I think he can play in almost any system to me. I mean, he can play both strong safety, but to me he's a natural free safety uh, and if you're a, a zone, a predominantly zone defense kind of team where you like your free safety to play that kind of center field role, uh, this guy is ideal for that. Um, so he's going to be he's going to be a high pick. I've seen some people think he could be a top five, which is really high for safety. Wow. You, do, you usually yeah. don't see safeties go that high. Uh-uh. But he's an unusual case. And um, if he went top five, it wouldn't surprise me. He will certainly go top ten. Uh, and is clearly, to me, the class of this group. Uh, number two, <laughs> I'm, no, coming as no surprise, I'm going to go back for another one of my University of Georgia guys. Uh, I'm going to go for Lewis Seen, who's a, a little bit more of your conventional safety, 6'1", 200 pounds, also a 4'4 runner. Um, he was the leading tackler on a great defense. I mean, we all I've, I've talked endlessly about how good this Georgia defense was, and I really do think you're probably going to have seven Georgia defenders drafted in the first two rounds this year. I mean, it's that good. And Lewis Seen was the was the leading tackler on that defense. Um, he just take he just has a great instinct. He has great takes great angles to the football, tacks the line of scrimmage. Excellent wrap up form tackler, um, and probably the most physical and the biggest hitter among these safeties. So if you're looking for a safety that really is going to bring the wood uh, on every play, Lewis Seen is your guy. Um, Jahan Petri is the is my number three, a kid from Baylor. I got to see play for that really good Baylor team this year. Um, also six feet tall, 197 pounds. Also runs four four. That's one of the things that's interesting about this safety crop is you have a lot of guys here that are really fast. So, I mean, uh-huh. sometimes safeties you know, there's a big drop off in terms of speed from the corner to the safety position. Not so much this year at the top of the draft. You've got safeties here that run like corners. Uh, and the guys who are physical, they combine it with really good foot speed. So Petri is, to me, I said seen as is kind of the more physical, um, hard tackling kind of safety. Petri is more the ball hawk kind of safety. He's the guy that goes for the football. He had 11 takeaways in the last two seasons. Uh, led the Big 12 in tackles for losses with 18, which is a lot for a safety. Uh, he can play safety. He can play nickel. He's a very versatile player. Uh, has excellent anticipation and really good quickness. He just a little scary about him as he has a little bit of an injury history. He had a little, was hurt a little bit in high school. Got hurt a little bit at Baylor. Nothing serious, but just something to kind of keep your eye on. But the tape is so good on him that I've got him as number three. Number four is Daxton Hill from Michigan. Six feet tall, kind of in the same mold, 190 pounds. Um, he's probably the best pure cover player at the safety position out of this group. Uh, if you want, if you're thinking about using your safety in man-to-man situations, if you're thinking about maybe swinging your safety over and having him play as a slot defender, Daxton Hill is probably your guy because he has that kind of one-on-one coverability. He could actually probably be a cornerback, but that's not his best position. He should play inside, either on the slot or at the safety position. Good player, and I'm going to round it out here. I'm sure. The Penn State fans out there are saying, you really are going to put Jaquan Brisker in there, aren't you? And yes, I am. He's my number five, six one two zero five. Doesn't have quite the same stopwatch speed as the other guys. He's more of a 4-5 guy, but he's certainly fast enough. 
Um, just has a real solid physique. He's built like a he's built like a real physical kind of player. Um, he's excellent at getting off blocks and getting to the football. He really has a textbook tackling form. Um, I think that he is a guy that needs to be in a zone coverage thing. I don't think he's a great man-to-man defender, um, but he's got he's got an awful lot of smarts and he's a physical player. And I think in the right system can be very productive. So those are my five safeties: Kyle Hamilton, Lewis Seen, Jahan Petrie, Daxton Hill, and Jaquan Brisker from Penn State are my. They're the top five safeties, but there are more in this draft. It's a really good area. And the Eagles, you and I have talked about it. They need some work in the secondary. Yeah. And yeah. there are good cornerbacks in this draft. And this year, unlikely, but there are some really good safeties as well. Who's going to be there in the second round with that pick, with that pick 60 or something like that? Uh, I would say in the first – you know, Hamilton could be the only safety to go in the first round mm-hmm. just because that's how teams – that's yeah. how teams value. sort of don't value safeties. Mm-hmm. You know, Hamilton, I, like I said, I think will probably be almost certainly be a top ten. Um, I think Scene. I think Scene will certainly be there in the second round. Okay. I'm a little higher on him than some people are because some people question how good a, um, a a pass defender he is. There's no yeah. question about his physical play or his ability to play in the box. Mm-hmm. But um, I think because of that, and there's some questions about that, he will probably be there in the second round. That would be. For the Eagles, if they haven't already addressed it, he would be a fine second-round pick. Good stuff, Ray. Good stuff. All right, there you go, Ray's draft report. We'll do that every show between now and when the draft begins on April 28th. Let's get Mark in Chad's Ford. You're on with Ray and Glenn. Hey, Mark. Hey, Ray and Glenn. Love the show, man. Glenn, thank you so much for the for the, the opening comments about Duke. <laughs> it's a great day with no Coach K. He, I, 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 I just think I just think he's overrated. I and and I and I go back to the 2018-19 team that he had. He had the top three recruits: Zion, Barrett, and uh, and Cam Reddish. And he didn't even get to the final. He he did nothing. Yeah, listen, I I don't uh, I don't criticize him as a coach. I criticize the institution, the fan base, and some of the things he's done. But sure. he's won, what he won three three titles, right? Three championships. Um, I think three. Yeah, yeah. Oh, at least at least three. Yeah. But, but could you make the argument that Jay Wright's a better coach than he is? Because look at the blue chip talent that he gets every year, and and, and now he's playing the one and done game. He, he's not he's not even coaching these kids. Yeah, well, that's that is true. What Duke has done in recent years is what. Well, listen, it's it's the game as it is today. So I don't begrudge him for that. You're you and I are in the same street, but we're walking in different directions. Um, yeah, you have to be you have to be careful if you're talking about the winningest coach of all time. Being yeah, overrated. I'm not. I'm not going <laughs> to criticize his ability as a coach. That's I'm not. I'm not going with that. Uh, Brandon in Brookhaven is with us. Hello, Brandon. Hey guys, I um, have two questions for you. One, the last question is a very quick draft question for Ray. But first, I saw on April Fool's that T.O. was going to unretire. I still yeah, take him over uh, Rager any day of the week. Just, <laughs> just saying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, my question is about the Flyers. Um, they're not watchable, in my opinion. In this, I'm not as familiar with NHL drafts as the NFL drafts. Is there anything in this draft, and how would is there any way to rebuild this team and make them somewhat watchable next season? I cannot tell you the talent in the NHL draft coming up. I really don't. I, obviously, they're going to have a top five pick, but I can't tell you what that's going to translate to. I think okay. they're in big trouble in in the long term because um, they don't have a lot of good young players either on the team or coming up. 
So it's not like you can say, hey, they're bad, but look at this guy, look at this guy. Those guys are going to be better in a couple of years. You know, some of the guys I think they were really counting on let him down. I'll put Provorov at the top of the list. Ray, you and I thought he was going to be a superstar. That didn't happen. No, it didn't. And I think they, uh, I think it's a real tough rebuild for them. I don't, yeah, I don't know the pathway do that they do it. I don't know free agency either. But my very quick uh, NFL draft question is uh, just your opinion, Ray. If you're Howie, would you consider trading one of these first for next year's first? So just in case we do need to trade up for a quarterback next yeah. season, um, would you that, do it? Yeah, Brandon, that's uh, that's been talked about. Uh, a lot of people have speculated on that. Um, I think that maybe the safest bet in this draft is that Howie is not going to sit at 15, 16, 19 and just take three players. He's just not. I mean, he's. I, I, I would be – if he did that, if he just stayed in those with those three picks and just picked the best player on the board, personally, I would be fine with it because I think there are that many good players there and I think the Eagles have that many needs. But I would be – I would be fall out of my chair shocked if he did because he just he just loves he just loves the wheeling and dealing part of it yeah. and he's never been and he's in, good by the way he's good at that part of it yeah pretty much i mean sometimes you know i think sometimes he's a little too smart by half i mean sometimes you wind up you're trading and trading and you wind up with Marcus Smith and sometimes you trade and you trade and you wind up with Touché. Kevin Cobb. Touche. I mean, that happens. I yeah. mean, and sometimes uh, that's, that's the danger of doing it, but sometimes it works. I mean, last year he made, the, he made the trade and very smartly, you know, jumped ahead of the Giants and he got Devontae Smith. I mean, so, but he just loves, he just loves the trading aspect of this. And he's armed with three first-round picks, and so his phone is going to be ringing plenty. And he's going to answer at some point. But... um that the scenario that Brandon laid out, the idea that the Eagles will trade one of those number ones for a number one next year plus some other stuff, I I I could see that happening because then it gives them another first round pick next year that possibly if they decide at that point that the Jalen Hurts thing isn't working out, that now you're sitting there with two first round picks and you're in a better position to go get that guy if you feel like you need to do that. Yep, I get that. I think that's uh, I I. I I wouldn't have a problem with that. And by the way, all of this is why mock drafts are, I don't want to say a waste of time, because they're fun to read. Oh, yeah. But they, in the end, don't really amount to a whole lot. So okay. No, and having done them for years, I know that they, you, know, you, can, do the, you can do the most studied dra mock draft imaginable. Uh, and within the first hour of draft night, it's blown to pieces. But it gives us plenty to talk about in the days leading up to it. Oh, and we will. Coming up, by the way, Ray is going to put an Eagle legend in perspective. Uh, and we will take your calls, 215-592-9494. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack, now 94 WIP. So, Ray, news came earlier in the week that somebody who was a huge part of the Eagles' Super Bowl uh, win and run uh, retired. He had been gone from the Eagles. But I will always, Ray, remember Malcolm Jenkins more than anything for this play. This drive starts from the 37-yard line. Brady stepping up. Deep downfield, wide open. Brandon Cooks. And he gets smacked down at the 40-yard line, taking some shot there by Jenkins. So he was spinning around, and he is down after a 23-yard game. That play is sometimes forgotten, Ray, within all of the other amazing moments of the Super Bowl. Right. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of defense in that game. <laughs> no, and there wasn't a lot of defense, but... That was it. Cooks was done for the day. He was. And I think that that was, 
I think that really helped the Eagles. Oh, it did for sure. Yeah, because, you know, Brandon Cooks' NFL career has never really quite been what everybody thought it was going to be. Um, But he was, at that time, probably playing his best football. And I know going into that game that um, that he was a big part of the game plan for the Patriots in that game. Um, you know, they had Gronkowski, they had Edelman, but he was their deep threat. He was their he, he was the guy they were hoping to if they're going to hit the big play, they were going to hit it with him. And um, and Jenkins took him right out of the game. And it was uh, you know Malcolm Malcolm is a just a really good player. I mean, for 13, 13 seasons in the NFL. Not a whole lot of cornerbacks, and not, not a whole lot of safeties, not a whole lot of DBs hang around that long. Um, but Jenkins did. Uh, he, was, he was just a really good player, a really good, smart player. Um, was tremendously valuable in that Eagles defense in terms of being able to keep the secondary together, get everybody in position. Um, they missed him terribly when he left. But I thought that, and you mentioned that play as being significant and interceptions he made big plays at big times but I, I think just the leadership that he provided within that team in that locker room mm-hmm. was invaluable and I, I remember I remember the game in Los Angeles when Carson Wentz got hurt and everybody kind of thought the season was lost and um, yeah, I guess most people by now have seen the video of how Malcolm Jenkins got the guys together in the locker room uh, in Los Angeles before they had even gotten on the bus to come home uh, when they were now fully aware of what had happened and that Wentz wasn't coming back. And that was when Malcolm got the guys together and he said, uh, uh, we all we got and we all we need, yep. was what he said. And that became the mantra for that team. And um, and that was, and they kind of rallied around that, they kind of rallied around that emotion. And uh, the leadership of that, of that veteran core, and Malcolm was certainly part of it, as was Chris Long, um, really held that team together and helped carry them to a championship. Correct. Ray, I'm going to let you handle this next call. I think you're probably more equipped to do so. Uh, a certain local basketball legend named Gene Banks is checking in. I'm not sure he went to college, but he wants to talk to you, Ray. <laughs> Gene Banks, what an honor. Yes, I'm, I'm here. It's, a, it's an honor for you guys. I've, I've been here. My son keeps me posted on your show, and he listens to you guys' show all the time. Well, we appreciate that. Well, Gene Banks, for those for those people who don't know, is one of the – uh, I mean, the term legend is thrown around far too freely, but Gene Banks, for anyone who follows high school basketball in the city of Philadelphia, um, knows that Gene Banks was a true basketball legend here in Philadelphia and went to Duke and played at Duke and was part of a championship team at Duke. And um, um, <laughs> uh, it's really uh, – I, I didn't know that I didn't know that you had any links to, to WIP, but it's nice of you I to check have, in. I, I do have links. I, I listen to you guys. All you Philly people are listening out there. I check on you guys all the time, from time to time, from a long distance, and and from I hear your little your messages. So remember when I'm listening. So <laughs> this would, yeah, well, then I'm imagining I'm you got a bone to pick with me about my anti-Dukeness. So let's do it. I've been I've been hearing about that, but I, I'm I'm not calling you about that. It, it, it's okay. I'm, I, oh, okay. Everybody can't everybody can't love Duke. I, mean, I understand. <laughs> okay. okay. Where do you want to go with this? Well, the one thing I wanted to say was that uh, for one thing, the, the game was it was a great game. Uh, it was a wonderful game. Uh, the Duke guys have played very very well. Villanova. Uh, I want to give a shout out to them. Jay Wright. Uh, I mean, I, I'm a Philly guy always. There's no mm-hmm. doubt about it. And I was cheering for them. Uh, they did a great job. So, 
uh, when looking at all this stuff that's happening, it, it, it takes me back to 78 when I, when I went to the, uh, the, the final four and all that and, and what it takes to get there. So, uh, I just want to give kudos to them, and it's an interesting way of losing. I mean, finish not your season with Coach K and Hubert Davis. Yeah, yeah, it's really true. It really is true. Gene, as a, as a guy who, um, I mean, played at Duke, understands the lore of Duke, understands, the, you know, the spotlight that's on Duke, um, the, the old expression in sports is you never want to be the guy who follows the legend. What's it, right. going, to be, what's it going to be like for the guy who has to follow Mike Krzyzewski? Well, let me tell you this much. I know Josh. I've been around. I've been to their practices. We've engaged on the summertime. Love him. He's a great, you know, he looks like that. We're like Fran McCaffrey. We, we, I give Fran McCaffrey a shout-out. You never knew Fran McCaffrey plays basketball the way he looks. He looks like a banker. He does. That's but, true. <laughs> but, back, but back then, he was like Pete Maravich, the greatest ball-handling skills ever. And John Shire has come up through the ranks. You know, he, he got recruited by him in ninth grade. He played for the team. They won a championship. He's been working for nine years. So it's a great, great fit. Now, here's the catch. You guys ready for this? Sure. This is where the African-American black players are had some issues. That is because a couple of years ago, Coach K and Tommy Amaker somewhat had, he wanted Tommy Amaker basically, it was allegedly and spoken out there, to take over the program two years ago. And it was really a set deal, kind of. But then all of a sudden, now all this has happened, now you take you get John Shire when all the administrators and people at Duke wanted Tommy Amaker. And there was something that happened there where either somebody had to stand down or step down or step away. And I'll tell you this much, which is the most I can say to you, is that Tommy's not very happy about it, but he's not going to, you know, Tommy's not the kind of guy to cause a big mess. Interesting. It really is. Boy, if, if they have, uh, I don't know if it overstates a dissension in the rank, but if they have some degree of controversy after this, that is certainly not the way Coach K would have wanted the the uh, program to move forward. Gene, did yeah, you? I was going to say, did, did you go? But did you go back to Cameron for Coach K's final home game? I was there. Yeah, I was there. I was there. It was it was magical. It was fantastic. The respect I get, you know, I'm they all those guys call me the Godfather, which is which is. Uh, uh, really interesting. I, I like that. You know, Kristen Layton always says, you started all this, basically. You know, so uh, that's the great respect that I get from them. But, yeah, I was there, and there's a picture right behind him when they took the center uh, court picture. So uh, I'm the link between all of that, I guess, that happens. It's very nice. Well, listen, we, we are uh, flattered and honored that you called. I would uh, wish you condolences on the loss last night, but uh, I have to tell you I thoroughly <laughs> enjoyed the moment. Yeah, I cried my eyes out all night. Yeah. I, I couldn't speak. I got it. We got it. Well, we're glad you recovered enough to call us this morning, sir. I'm doing good. And shout out to all my Philadelphia people. I love you guys. And my son is here with me. He came down to Philadelphia to spend a day with me to watch the game. So uh, uh, you guys keep doing a great job. Thank you. I love Philly. You guys continue on doing what you're doing. Thank you, Gene. Thank you so much. Thank you. Wow. Well, is his high school career predating your arrival here? I'm trying to think. Oh, yeah. I guess it was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was West Philly. Um. He had more – he got – Glenn, I got to tell you, he probably was the most written up, celebrated high school athlete um, in Philadelphia, uh, if you go back. And and the thing was you had a couple of high school writers. The newspapers back then actually wrote about the high schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you had two really good writers who were covering high schools at that time, uh, a fellow named Julius Thompson who worked with me at the Philadelphia Bulletin. 
uh, and none other than Gary Smith. Yeah, I know that. The great uh, writer for Sports the, Illustrated. It was, the, it was yeah. the great writer at that time, just starting out at the Philadelphia Daily News. Yeah. Uh, and Julius and Gary uh, covered Gene throughout his high school career uh, and then the whole recruiting craziness that followed and then the decision to go to Duke and then throughout his basketball career. And there's a really fine book written about that Duke team. Not that you'll ever read it, but for anybody that has an interest, <laughs> uh, written by the great John Feinstein. Can called, I hate read it? Oh, I know. Fe oh, gosh. Feinstein is one of the ones. And I like John, but he's one of the ones. Who oh, he's, oh the, he wears his Duke, Duke thing on his sleeve for sure. Oh, and he, he, wrote, uh, he, wrote a, he really wrote a great book about the team that had Rich. Gene Banks. I think it was called The Forever Team. Yeah, forever. And it's, it's really, really well done. Yeah, it's great. It's a great book. I'll do right next. Uh, next uh, my birthday's coming up later this month, right? Feel free to get Well, there you go. Me. But in a city that has... Uh, a, a very rich high school basketball history, yeah. uh, which the Philadelphia certainly does. Oh, yeah. Gene Banks is, you know, if you're putting together the Mount Rushmore of Philadelphia high school basketball, Gene Banks is right there. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I, uh, he's uh, two years younger than I, so I was not here when he played. No, I guess not. No, I was, just, I was in high school. <laughs> uh, Ted in Harleysville wants to talk about quarterbacks in the NFL. What do you got, Ted? Hey, I'm a big fan of uh, Jalen Hurts, but... It's frustrating once in a while when you uh, watch the replay and he misses open guys. So it's a decision-making process. I was just wondering in the NFL if they have virtual reality where those guys wear those things over their eyes and play film so that they can identify and make better decisions during the game in that time spirit, that time segment. It's fast. I mean, obviously the NFL is the fastest uh, game around and then i have two other points i want to make uh i have the only time i ever saw that was in a commercial that mike vick did years ago right and i think it was just a commercial i don't think it's actually used and i understand listen i understand your frustration um with hertz ray did i hear that he's working with tom house is that a rumor or is that a confirmed thing? Um, the the eagles have made reference to him working with coaches in the off season uh, I but I I haven't heard them say who they those coaches were. Okay, I know I heard it, but I don't know if I heard it as like a truth. I would really like to see him working with Jordan Palmer. Yeah, you mentioned Carson that. Palmer's Carson brother, brother, who's who's had who's had tremendous results working with all kinds of different quarterbacks. Most notably, obviously Josh Allen, who I mean he really has credited he, Jordan Palmer with making the biggest difference from the rookie that he was to the MVP that he is now. Um, I think Jordan Palmer is regarded as the best. And I, if he's working with any, if, Jer, if Jalen Hurts is working with anybody, that's the guy I'd like to see him working with. Mm -hmm. Well, that's funny because I called in uh, years ago and uh, was a big fan of Carson Wentz going to Tom House and asking why he didn't do it in year two and year three. The other thing, Ray, uh, Glenn, is that my wife took me by the ear and we went down to the sleep number store after she heard oh, your endorsement. Oh. And we bought a little car also. That's the greatest. Pretty, that is pretty funny, but we bought it from the same guy that sold it to you. Is that right? <laughs> and that guy Holden, and he didn't even know who you were. Which no, he didn't know who I was, which was perfectly great. I had no problem with that. And I and, I, and listen, I'm, I'm glad that you like it. And I... I'm Ray. Not that the audience cares that much. I'm sleeping seven plus hours a night. I haven't done that in twenty years. I'm glad to hear that. And apparently, you are as well. We haven't gotten ours yet, so oh, uh, you love it. Hey, the the best game that I think uh, is the uh, Field of Dreams game with the Yankees and the White Sox, Ooh. and they hit Homer after Homer, 
in the last innings out in the Iowa field side. I think that was the classic. That's not a bad. That that's question. not a bad one. All right, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna put that on the list, which right now is a very short list, but I like it. <laughs> I'm glad he brought up baseball. Right, coming up, uh, Philly F. Inquirer has a new Phillies beat writer this year. Her name is Alex Coffey. I've been enjoying her work during spring training. She's going to join us. We'll do a little Phillies preview, and we will take your calls at two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Ray Didinger, Glenn Mack, now on ninety four WIP. Oh, is drill. Deep to right field. Look out. A two-run home run for Bryce Harper. And it's 5-0. Phillies on top. That wasn't wind dated, Tom. It was not. That was a tracer. Well, Ray, that has been spring so far, which the Phillies knocking the ball out of park down in Florida. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm... Very optimistic for the upcoming season. We're going to check in for the first time. New uh, Phillies writer for the Inquirer, previously for the Athletic, publication that you and I both like, Alex Coffey. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter, by the way, at ByAlexCoffey, and she joins us this morning. Alex, very nice to talk to you. Thanks for having me on, guys. You bet. Um, let us start with uh, Let us start with this. Actually, let's start with something, a development from yesterday. The big concern going into camp was uh, Zach Wheeler and his condition. They wanted to get him some work leading into the season. Yesterday, I know he worked out in the morning. He threw a couple of innings early in the morning in Dunedin. Don't know if you got to see him, uh, whether you did or not. Kind of what's the report on his status and what might we expect there? Yeah, so right now he said that he's still on track to be ready um, by the, the first week of the season. Obviously, he's not going to be making the opening day start. Um, he's a little bit behind um, the, other, the other starters. But, but his goal is still to be back by the, the first week of the season. And he said that yesterday he felt physically fine, just wanted to get some reps in. Um, but one thing to note is that he's probably going to go into the, his first start of the regular season against the Mets um, without having thrown to live big league hitters. He's not going to be getting in an actual Grapefruit League game down here. Um, because of the rain yesterday, he was throwing to he was throwing in a simulation game, so he was just facing some of the Phillies minor league guys. So mm-hmm. um, the caliber of people that he's, he's facing and he'll face um, next week when he throws again in another simulation game will obviously not be the same as, you know, Vladdy, Vladdy Jr. or whoever he would have faced uh, yesterday right. if he had made his start. So um, he doesn't seem too concerned about it, but it is definitely atypical. So that's just something to note. But uh, but his goal is still to be ready by that first week of the season. Has uh, Alex has uh, has Joe Girardi talked much about how deep he expects his starters to go once once they start playing the games? Because it's been an unusual spring, and you know they the guys haven't gotten a whole ton of work. Um, has he talked about how many innings he's expecting his starters to give him once the season starts? Obviously, they'll ramp it up as the season goes along. Yeah. But as we as we get underway here, does are are you thinking? Is is he thinking in terms of five innings? Because he's thinking six. What do you th- what do you figure? Yeah. So he hasn't put a firm innings limit on it. Um, I was talking to JT Realmuto about this yesterday. His his estimate, and this is just his guess, but he was thinking three or four or four or five. Um, I think the interesting thing to look at is that these guys all go really deep 
like relatively speaking compared to the starters around the rest of the league, they go deeper into games. It's kind of like how they're wired. Um, so, you know, I think it might be <laughs> a challenge to kind of rein them in off the bat. Um, but, but I think somewhere maybe in like the four to five range would be my guess. But, um, but Girardi hasn't said, you know, we're going to hold these guys to this, this amount of work early on. I think that they're kind of just, you know, keeping an eye on it. And uh, it, it might be a little bit different for each guy. It's going to be so odd. Um, and I know, what are they going to carry, 28 at the start of the year? And, yeah. And 16 yeah. pitchers. Right. right. Yeah. Like 15, yeah, so yesterday 16. he was like, uh, actually, I'm thinking 15 pitchers instead. And we're like, that's still a lot of pitchers. Yeah, 15 <laughs> pitchers. I don't think they have room in the bullpen. So let's, I, I want you to kind of project forward. When it, when it returns to some degree of normalcy, which these days is, what, 26, pitchers, 26 uh, players, 13 of whom are pitchers. When it does, how do you, Alex, project the bullpen playing out, kind of start at closer and work backward? What do you see? Just in terms of how they'll perform over the course of the season. Well, who do you think will end up in the role of closer? Who are my setup men? Because I think there are a lot of names there who might be used in different ways. I'm yeah. just kind of I'm curious on how you project it. Yeah, well, the, I think the two names to keep your eye on are Sir Anthony Dominguez and, uh, and Knable. They both look great this spring. They're both touching 97 already, um, you know, and they've only had a few outings in, uh, in Grapefruit League games. So, and, and those are guys that, you know, they could be used interchangeably in my mind. I mean, that was something that JT said yesterday as well, was that he, he believes that Sir Anthony has the stuff to close if they need him to. So I don't think it's, you know, they're, they're saying right now that Knievel is going to be the closer, but I don't think that it's automatically, you know, I think that they could have a little bit of flexibility there if they wanted to. Um, but, but, yeah, a tool like Sir Anthony, if he's healthy, um, which he says he is right now, um, you know, he can be used in a, in a ton of different spots and, um, and his stuff looks great. So I think that those are the two guys to keep an eye on in the bullpen for sure. And they can, they can be a difference maker, you know. I think they really elevate it from what it was last year. Yeah, listen, a couple of years ago, I mean, before you came to town, and Ray, remember, Sir Anthony, when he came up, looked like he could be something special, and the injuries mm-hmm. just derailed that career. If he, if there's any possibility of him getting back, Ray, that would that would just be such a nice bonus. Something, yeah. It, something it, I didn't expect. It, it really would. And, you know, th- this team, you, you just kind of get the feeling that the bullpen's just going to sort itself out over time. I, you know, I don't know that Joe... I don't know that Joe Girardi has a really clear idea right now of exactly how it's going to work out. It's just going to be one of those. Listen, we're going to go into the season, going to use all these guys, and we'll let them def- we'll let them find their roles. You know, I, I think that that's kind of the way it is. But I wanted to go back one more one more question on the starting rotation. Mm-hmm. Alex is mm-hmm. yeah. every time I've seen <clears throat> every time I've seen Aaron Nola this spring. The only thing I've seen are guys hitting balls like 500 feet off them. I mean, is is, yeah. is is anybody getting a little concerned about? Because I've seen references to Joe saying, "Oh, that's yeah, well, bad pitch," but I thought he threw the ball well. And then the next game, yeah. he gives up two more, and it's oh, I threw the ball well. I mean, is anybody yeah. getting a little concerned about where Aaron Nola is right now? So far, they're not. Um, he is getting hit around a lot. He's about. To, he's actually going to start um, today. They're at home against the Tigers, um, so I guess we'll see what he does. Today. I mean, you know, it's so tricky to read into spring training stuff, you know, so much of it, like, obviously these games don't matter and everyone's always like, take it with a grain of salt. Um, but he has been, he has been getting hit around a lot. I, I also don't think that they would have made him the opening day starter if they were super, super concerned. So, right. 
you know, um, I guess we'll see what he does today. But um, but it's not really – they don't really seem to be ringing any alarm bells about him just yet. Mm. Well, <laughs> but I don't I, I'm kind of with Ray. Generally, I, I, generally I'm, speaking, I'm, I don't think that they ring the alarm bells, you know, too often around yeah, us. So, yeah, yeah. And they're, and, and they're not going to tell you if they are, and I, I'm worried about that. But here's the good yeah. stuff, all right? And by the way, we're, we're speaking with Alex Coffey. Uh, follow her on Twitter, at by Alex Coffey, C-O-F-F-E-Y. Here's the part that's good. Here's your order, Ray. Kyle Schwarber, Reese Hoskins. This is what they did the other day. Maybe this will be the order. Kyle Schwarber, Reese Hoskins, Bryce Harper batting third, Castellanos cleanup, JT batting fifth, Didi Gregorius sixth, Gene Segura, Bryson Stott, mm-hmm. and my center fielder, Mickey Moniak. <laughs> so let's start with Mickey Moniak, who people in this town have watched for many years, you know, having been the first overall pick of the draft and done nothing. By all accounts, he is having a great spring. Is it possible that Mickey Moniak has finally figured it out? Does he look like you to a major league player? Yeah, yeah, no, he, I mean, he looks like one now. He made a few adjustments with um, the Phillies hitting coach, Kevin Long. He's a little bit closer to the plate. And, um, and you know, it's funny how a little tweak like that can just unlock all this power. But he's homered a bunch of times this spring. Um, you know, he's getting in the lineup, getting in games more. Um, so, it's pretty crazy considering the fact that he wasn't able to work with Kevin um, during the off season, during the lockout, you know, they just met this spring, you know, obviously they haven't had a lot of time together, but it was kind of an immediate impact that he made. Um, and we're already seeing the results. So, um, you know, you always have to preface it with his spring training and, you know, don't read into it too much, but, but so far he looks great. And I think he's got a really good shot to, uh, you know, to make the team, so. Yeah, it sure yeah. looks that it sure looks that way, and uh, nobody would have guessed that coming into this spring. I mean, it's, I think most people had kind of written him off as a as just mm-hmm. a wasted draft pick, and now he's played his way back into it thanks to the Odubel Herrera injury. I mean, if he if he was still yeah. playing, I mean, who knows that Moniak would have even gotten this opportunity? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's crazy to see what that injury has opened up. You know, you look at a guy like Matt Beerling too, another center field candidate. He's been tearing the cover off the ball as well, making really, really hard contact, both of them. Um, and they wouldn't really have this in-depth look, you know, that they're getting without uh, without Herrera's injury. So, you know, we'll see what happens there. I don't know if he's going to get Wally Pift or, <laughs> or what, but it'll be That'd interesting be to watch. That would be fine with both of us. Alex, before, <laughs> before we let you go, I read your bio, says you are a second-generation sports writer. Ray, Ray and I are both a couple of old sports writers. Give us a little bit of your background, people who haven't met you yet in town. Give us a little bit of, you know, where you're from and uh, your family history here. Yeah, so I'm from New York originally, and my dad was a longtime sports writer at the New York Daily News. Um, he would normally write, you know, like long Sunday features. He was an enterprise guy, so he wasn't, he wasn't ever really on a beat. Um, but he would bring me to events and press, box, press boxes and um, – games you know I was always around the game but it wasn't just that I was around the game I was also around media so um I kind of felt like he was grooming me for for this for a while but as a stubborn child I always told him that I didn't want to do what he did and then um kind of fell in love with it in my own way and now I'm doing exactly what he did (laughs) so that's terrific wow so I, 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 I I didn't know that so Wayne Coffey is your dad yep Yep. I, I, yeah. I, had, I had no idea. Well, Wayne, 
I've known Wayne Coffey for a long time. Your dad's really a good guy. He's a terrific writer. Uh, yeah. And uh, he covered a lot of Olympic stuff, and I covered yeah. a lot of Olympic stuff. So that's where I got to know him. And um, he wrote, uh, I mean, his book, Boys of Winter, about the 80 Olympic team, mm -hmm. is really, really a good book. And your dad's, uh, yeah. your dad's really a good guy. Well, I, yeah, uh, he sets the bar very high, very high. Sometimes he sure I, did. I didn't share the surname with him because I'm like, oh, my gosh, the standard is so high. He sure but, did. Um, <laughs> well, when you, well, next time you're talking yeah. to your dad, tell him I said hello, please. I will. I will. <laughs> All right, listen, it's uh, it's delightful to, to meet you, to talk to you, and uh, uh, appreciate your insight and hope to talk to you again. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. Have a good one. Thanks, uh, Alex. Well, there you go. Well, Alex how about the that? Inquirer. There you go, right? I, I, didn't, I just didn't make the connection. Well, sure. It's, it's, it's not, coffee is not the most common name, but certainly not rare. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just never put that together, that, that, that Wayne Coffey was her dad. I think she's off to a pretty good start. You know, I criticize the Inquirer a lot um, when I think it needs it, but they brought her in as a baseball writer, and she did a piece last week on the um, the kid trying to make it as a backup catcher. Sands, I think they just sent him down the other day, but it was very. She can write too. She got writing jobs. Yeah. So, oh, good. Go. Good for her. It's in the genetics. Uh, apparently so. I mean, there's a lot of that. Uh, a lot of that out there. Uh, you know that. Uh, some of the, a, a lot of the um, young women that are into the sports writing thing came through it with their fathers, you know, and, and so it's, uh, it's, it sort of makes sense. But her, yeah. her dad was really, really good. He wrote for the New York Daily News for a long time, and really his book on the 80 U.S. hockey team is really a fine, fine book called nice. The Boys of Winter. Very nice. Ray, can I just say one thing? Yeah. I'm thinking Philly's playoffs this year, Ray. <laughs> Still, come, on, huh? come with me, Ray. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go down this road together. No, I'm telling you, it's it's the, sun, on, man. It's, it's the sunshine and the palm trees. It's you're you're intoxicated. Nah, you're nah, intoxicated nah. with the uh, with the look and feel of of the grapefruit leg. Ray, I, I believe I have a few spare instruments left on the bandwagon. If you want to hop on, uh, no, that's okay. I'll I'll wait. I'm I am not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's April, I, Ray. Come on. I can't look. I, I listen. I wish Mickey Moniac well. I do, uh, but I, I'm not. That's I'm, where you had to start, huh? I'm not prepared. To, I'm not prepared to say that all of a sudden he's become Mickey Mantle. I just, no, no, I just no. don't. Castellanos, Schwarber, come on! I like, 225 have, home runs out of this team this year. I have too much. I yeah. Well, that part of it. I mean, listen. That the heart of the lineup, uh, the batting order. I, I'm with you there. I, I think they are going to be. I think they are going to be. You know, one of the top offensive teams in baseball. I think they're going to be a dynamic offensive team. I think they're going to, I think they're going to hit the ball. They're going to score a ton of runs. Um, I just don't know about the rest of it. But you know, the people, the people that I've read and the people that I've talked to and the pe baseball people whose opinion I respect um, are more on your side. I mean, they they feel <laughs> apparently that, that apparently that group doesn't include me because I can't sway you a little bit. No, but I mean, well, I mean they're. I mean, they're they're of the opinion that the, I think. Look, when the projections <laughs> come wait, out, hold on. I just have to. People I respect think the Phillies are going to be good, and then there's you. No, 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 no. Don't take it that way. I guess you could if you wish, but you don't have to. I would rather you didn't. But um, I, I have a feeling. Look, this week we're going. Everybody's going to be making their picks, right? This yeah. week the the season's going to open for real. Uh, and everybody's going to be making their predictions about how the things are going to finish and who's going to make the playoffs and who's going to make the World Series. And I would be willing to bet you, even if you do view it on a national scale, not just locally, but nationally, the writers, um, I'll, bet, I'll bet the Phillies are going to be picked by most people to make the postseason. 
Not necessarily win the division, but they're yeah. going to be viewed. I think most people are going to pick them as a postseason team. Well, there you have it. I really do. I, th- I think there is. I think there is a genuine feeling of that kind of optimism about the Phillies right, right now. Well, I'll, I'll I'll bother you about it again next week. All right. That's fine. All right. We'll 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 go and, through. By the way, I am rooting for them. I want them well, to do I that well. That. I'm just. I know. I I'm know. just. Uh, you know. I mean, last You're year. Not sold yet? You know, I I never got on the bandwagon last year, and I'm yeah. still not quite on. Yeah. Big year for Joe Girardi, by the way. I think it's a huge Joe Girardi, Doc Rivers, both kind of in that same position. Like, you know, we hired these big name, big visibility managers, coach with great resumes, and kind of put up or shut up time for both of those. Yeah, boy. Given Joe, given Joe a 16 man pitching staff is really dangerous, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I could just see him. Every those shots of him walking out of the dugout, yeah. you know, tapping the right arm, tapping yeah. the left arm. Yeah, give me I have one a feeling we're going to see one a lot of, of that. Another one of these. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> oh boy, yes. we get to use that GIF a lot, don't we? All right, uh, Robert in Germantown's got some final four thoughts. Robert, I know you've been patient. Thanks for hanging. No, it's always a pleasure listening to you guys. So, Ray, I was in New Hope yesterday. Looking forward very much to your play next Saturday. Oh, good. Gather starting this week, right? Yeah, uh, the play opens at the Bucks County Playhouse this Thursday. And uh, are you coming Saturday afternoon or Saturday night? Afternoon. I'm an old guy. I don't like driving. Oh, okay. Because if you were coming on Saturday night, you'd get the opportunity to see Glenn Mack now on the stage. Oh, well, maybe I'll stay then. Yeah, you just some, hang, maybe I'll bring some, uh, hang bring out. Hang out. There you go. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, trivia question for you guys. Who was uh, Coach K's coach starting out at West Point? Uh, was Bobby Knight. Bobby Knight. Now, yeah. I had the experience back when I was a basketball coach uh, going to a lot of clinics they used to have. I met some really great human beings and brilliant coaches. John Wooden, uh, Roy Williams, and Dean Smith came as a pair. Roy was the assistant back then. And, yeah, I got to meet Bobby Knight and Coach K. Brilliant coaches, I'll give, I'll give them that. But as human beings, arrogant, you don't want to know about Bobby Knight, the stories I could tell you guys. Oh, Maybe we know, the, we know oh, the stories. Trust me, I know about Bobby Knight. So, Ray, yeah, is there a gene? Because, Ray, you and I have talked about this a lot with, with, pro, with football coaches, right? Mm-hmm. They can be great at their jobs and are often arrogant SOBs. Right. Stubborn, arrogant SOBs. And it does appear to be the same with college basketball coaches. Yeah. Well, Is it something that helps you do the job to be that guy? I, I don't know. I don't think that you have to be that way. I've known other coaches that, that have been successful and haven't been that way. Jay Wright being a perfect example of yeah. that. Yeah. But oh, I mean, Jay it's, Wright, it, Jay it, Wright is yeah. so good. Oh, yeah. But I mean, it's the point that you made about, uh, you know, that Robert was mentioning about. Um, Shashevsky coaching, playing, playing at Army for Bobby Knight. Uh, what the a football coach at Army at that time at West Point was Bill Parcells, and mm-hmm. Bill Parcells uh-huh. and Bobby Knight became like best friends and are remain best friends today, and are very similar personalities. That's very a, similar personalities. Seems like a fun dinner party to crash. <laughs> Oh, Bobby, Bobby Knight is wildly entertaining. He swears like well, no, I, I we can't know. talk with it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, yeah. Well, last comment, guys. I, I wish Tempo became relevant again. I think what we miss in Philadelphia is a big-time team like Tempo used to have where you want to go to the Welsh. I, I love Jay Wright, but I just can't embrace Villanova as a Philadelphia school. I just can't do it. Well, that, that's, uh, that's you. Uh, I think that's most me. people have moved I think most people have moved, moved past the Villanova is not a Philadelphia team. I mean, it's whatever, 10 minutes away. It's a Philadelphia team. Yeah. Um, but. What Philadelphia misses currently, I think, is a good college basketball rivalry. Right. 
because there's Villanova and then there's the rest of them. And it's, it's much better when, you know, Villanova and Temple are playing some for something or when St. Joe's had those good years, whatever, now back, what, 15 years ago, I guess. Right. Um, under Phil when, you know, they would beat Villanova half the time. That, that, that's what we miss. Yeah, what you're missing really is the, is, the true, is the true sense of rivalry among the big five schools, which even when – and there were years when some of those teams, individual teams, were really, really good. I mean, LaSalle had a really good run. I mean, Villanova had a really good run. You know, Temple, even Penn, uh, and St. Joe's, of course, under Ramsey, nationally ranked and had a chance, but they never, were, they never so separated themselves from the other teams that the big five games didn't have real meaning. I mean, there was always a chance that on any given year, Penn could knock off a really good St. Joe's team. You really felt that on those Saturday doubleheaders. I mean, that's what made the building so electric. That hasn't been the case now for years. I mean, it really is Villanova and everybody else. Yep. Um, By the way, uh, rumor has it, Ray, uh, that our our pal, recent guest on Tell Us Your Story, Fran Dunphy, may end up the coach back at LaSalle one more run. Really? Yes. How fitting would that be that he goes back uh, He yeah. goes back to coach at the school where he played? The story is the job's his if he wants it. Wow. Well, listen, that would be a great hire for LaSalle. I mean, it makes perfect sense. I mean, they need something to put the program back on the map, and he's the winningest coach in Big Five history and, and a – and a great player on the greatest team that LaSalle's ever had. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, it looks like a fit. I would love – and when we had Fran on for Tell Us Your Story, he made it clear that – I still remember his words, you know, I miss the juice of the locker room. So, if given the opportunity, I think he would do it again. He's a lifer. Yeah, he is. He's a lifer. All right, coming up, we'll take your calls on the other side. Uh, we haven't gotten to enough callers today. Looking forward to that. And I threw out this contest at the beginning of the show, and I, you know, really haven't done much to advance it. I thought that second game last night. That North Carolina-Duke game was one of the most entertaining sporting events I have seen in a long time. Ray was too busy sulking over the Villanova loss that he yeah, couldn't I was. get into the spirit of the thing. I, I was watching with one eye, I have to admit. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, so, the question is, what is the what is the best game you have seen? It can be a sporting event. It doesn't have to be a game. Uh, in the last 10 years, we want it to be recent. Two rules. Not a championship game. Not a Super Bowl. Not a final. Uh, and not a Philadelphia team, because we can all find games involving our team that we love. Give us another. Somebody wants a $25 gift card to my brewery, the Conshohocken Brewing Company. Beers on me. Ray and Glenn, 94 WIP. Ray Danger, Glenn Mack now 94 WIP. Ray, you ready to talk some callers? Absolutely. Uh, let's do it. Rich in Haddon Township is with us. Hello, Rich. Morning, gentlemen. How are you? Doing all right. We're good. So I called actually to talk about the NCAA Women's Championship tonight because mm-hmm. it literally I, it's the only game I have the rooting interest in. Um, Kansas and North Carolina is, eh, but you know I would have I would have loved to see Villanova or Duke just with nah, the story. You, you don't want to see Kat. Duke. Nah, you don't. Duke. No, I wanted to see the story, of Coach K. I want to see how that played out. That's all. It played out perfectly. But, <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, talk about the women's um, game tonight because it's uh, a lot of local angles on this one. Yeah, I'm really looking forward, you know, to South Carolina, of course, because Staley's a coach, but I'm looking forward to, to, to Kentucky, too, because they, they had that guard who's a phenomenal player, got hurt in the middle of the year, and has come back and is, and is still playing great basketball. So I think it's a great story and a great matchup both ways. I, I really am looking forward to seeing it, like I said. 
Well, they're playing Connecticut, right? Yeah, it's, it's UConn. UConn. No, I'm sorry. I said Kentucky. I meant, yeah, I meant yeah, UConn. Yeah, yeah. You confused me for a moment there. It's UConn, No, right. I confused Gino Oriema, another local guy. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, that's right. He is a local guy. Yes. Uh, again, Ray, we, uh, as always, going back to tell us your story, we had Dawn Staley on, what, about a year ago? About a year ago. And I just, she's somebody now I root for in, in sports as much as just about anybody. Always. Yeah. Always. And she, you know, and she felt, I remember when we did the interview with her, she talked about the fact that um, she felt that her team had a chance to win it all the year of the pandemic. And the season got shut down and they never had the opportunity to finish it. Uh, and now she's back in the championship game this year against a UConn team, which in the unusual, and it's unusual to see an OEM a UConn team that's the underdog, but they are the underdog, but a dangerous one. But uh, anybody that knows Dawn Staley's story and where she came from and the career that she had, just an all-time legendary figure, not just in women's basketball, but in all of basketball. I mean, yeah, I mean, we're all rooting for Dawn Staley. Was it Marcus Hees that wrote that article about how – it, it's difficult to to not like Dawn Staley, but like in, in the conference that she's playing against, she's respected, but she's getting that dislike that other winning coaches have. Like, like oh, I don't know, I didn't see it. It could well be a Marcus piece. It sounds like it. I did not see that. Yeah, piece. it was it was it was a great article. It was a gr- yeah. absolutely great article. I loved it. Um, I just remember when we had her on tell us your story and Ray. We we played uh, some of it during the best of, and she goes. You know, when she got to carry the flag in the Olympics, I couldn't believe it. Here I am, this little girl from North Philly, and all of a sudden I'm carrying my country's flag. Right. Yeah, she had me at that, right? Oh, sure. And and that's, you know, that's that's Dawn. I mean, she was, you know, I mean, she talked about growing up on the playgrounds in North Philadelphia, playing with the guys, uh, yeah. and, um, you know, going on and having a terrific high school career, then a college career, and then not even sure she wanted a coach. And then getting the opportunity to coach, kind of talked into it by John Chaney at Temple. And um, then he kind of became her mentor. Yep. And then she goes on and just has has a great playing career herself, playing professional basketball, wins Olympic medals as a player, and then gets to coach an Olympic, carry the flag, and then coach the Olympic team. My goodness, what a great, great life story. And who knows, maybe she adds another chapter today. Be nice. I think she just won Coach of the Year, right, the other day? Again, the time? Yes, she did. Beautiful. Douglas in Center City uh, wants to talk Eagles free agency. Douglas, you might be a little late. <laughs> it may have passed. Fellas, <laughs> um, uh, happy to be on with you. First time caller, always a pleasure to talk to you, or listen rather, uh, on the weekend. So thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for calling. Um, yeah, uh, Glenn, if I could pivot a little bit. Um, sure. Uh, well, first, I want to give you my game before I forget, please. I think I had the winner, and I enjoy a hazy IPA, Glenn. So, okay. hear me out. Well, here's your opportunity. Divisional round two, three months ago. Bills, Chiefs, let's go. I mean, come on. That, does it get better yeah. than that game? That was, anyway. Ray, as badly as it ended, it really was one of the great games. That's, that's, well, you know, that, I got to say, for, uh, that's the one I was thinking of. But I didn't mm-hmm. want to claim it because yeah. I wanted to get, I wanted to leave it out there for somebody else. So good for yeah. you, Doug. That's that was actually the one I was thinking of. But I, I kind of wanted to let somebody else say it because I, I've been thinking about it. I can't remember a game that I enjoyed more or a game that was more exciting than that one. Um, Tell that to my dad, Ray. Yeah, I know. I know it's a painful, a painful, painful one for Buffalo. Uh, but 
I mean, just a great, great football game. Doug, I think that's a really good choice. Appreciate it. And um, I don't know what your guys' thoughts uh, on this is, but I feel like the Birds really need um, a four- to six-year cornerback. Like, get me, get me another Lito Shepard. I know he wasn't a Hall of Famer, but give me a guy who's young and can just – you don't have to worry about him. He's solid. Uh, I just feel strongly the Birds need a freaking first-round cornerback. Well, there's, he's out there. I mean, that's that, that to me, if, if I'm the Eagles – that's the move I'm making. I'm 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 signing Stephon Gilmore. I would do that. Oh, really? Yep. I would oh, do we that. We haven't talked about this. Yeah, I would do that. He's uh, he's still out there and I know it probably cost you a lot. But uh you put him on the opposite side of Darius Slay. I think you've locked up your cornerback position. Look, there's some good cornerbacks in this draft and we've talked about them. I talked about them yesterday and there are. You could draft one for sure. But, um, I mean, Stephon Gilmore, to me, is a guy – he had some injuries last year, so people are being a little cautious about him. But I don't think it's anything serious. Um, and I would, I would absolutely explore him. I, I think he's a smart player. I think he's a good player. He's played for winning programs. He understands the position. Um, very heady. I think, he'd be a, I think he'd be a great fit. Interesting. 31 years old, not too old for you. No, I mean okay. you know, I mean you know, you, th- th- you'd have two cornerbacks both north of thirty, which is yeah. not ideal. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you saw how well Slay played last year. Yeah. Uh, and that was without getting a whole lot of help from Nelson on the other side. If you put Gilmore over there and you have Gilmore and Slay as your two corners, you've got the corner position in good hands, I think. Interesting, Ray. Hey, Douglas, thanks. It was a, it was a very good call, and you may win the prize. As much pain as that game caused me. Um, that's funny, Ray, because we've talked about free agents. I had not heard you mention him before. I had said I want you know Tyron Matthew is still hanging out there, which he is, and they haven't signed him. Listen, I think I, I don't disagree with you. Um, I think that Stephen Nelson was was nothing. Their whole secondary was nothing last year. Uh, other well, Slay than Slay played well, yeah, yeah. Other than Slay, Slade played very well. Avante Maddox was, I thought he was, he was pretty good. Oh, he was good. I mean, that but, was his best year, I thought. Yeah, but Anthony Harris is a nothing burger. Rodney McLeod is kind of done. Stephen Nelson didn't do much for me. Um, so I'm if they if they were to add either of those two guys to me, Tyron Matthew as a safety or Stephon Gilmore, that at least gives you half of a secondary go and and Maddox going into the draft. Right. So I'm I. I'm delighted to hear you say that. I'm I'm going to look up and see what's going on with him. Why nobody assigned him? Yeah, that's that was my that was the reason that I was sort of being I was sort of hedging my bets on it because I thought there's something odd here that a player this good is just sitting there in in this active a free agent market. Why is nobody moving on Stephon Gilmore? Which made me which really made me pause. But I've talked to some people and had some communication with some people and said, am I missing? Is there something that I don't know? Is there something that I'm missing here? And they all said no, no, that he's still a really good player. And in the right situation, he could come in and really help a team. So at that point, I just said, you know what, I'm in. Now, I know, it, you know, I know you'd have to pay him a fair amount of money, but I think he'd be a guy that would be worth it. And the way the Eagles value cornerbacks, to me, it's definitely a phone call worth making. Ooh, Ray didn't drive that's my favorite moment of the show so far. <laughs> Peter in Media is with us. Uh, Peter, by the way, Media is my favorite local town. I got to tell you. Why is that? Uh, well, first of all, because my son lives there with his family. But second of all, just because that main drag there, there is. I just love walking down that street and going into yeah. restaurants and shops and media theater. I just think it's a great place. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's got the sort of the uh, all-American old home hometown feeling. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it definitely has that. You're right. Well, gentlemen, uh, I, I really want to call and ask a, uh, uh, a draft question, which I will, but one quick, uh, uh, I think, wonderful Gene Banks story. So years ago, the late 90s, I was a high school basketball coach, actually out in California, but I find my, my way into North Carolina one summer, and I figured, you know, I'm just going to pop into – Duke and see if I can talk to Coach Krzyzewski. I had seen him at a, a couple coaching clinics and thought he was wonderful. I just walk in unannounced, and uh, sure enough, he's there, uh, but he's busy. He, he gives me a couple of minutes just very graciously. He says, but listen, talk, talk with uh, my assistant, David Henderson, and he'll, he'll give you a tour and talk. To and so they were so gracious. Coach Henderson spends about an hour with me, takes me through Cameron. But I, I distinctly remember him telling me I'm, on his recruiting visit when he was a high school junior or senior, He's at, he's, at, he's at the Duke-North Carolina game. And he said what, what really clinched it for, for him to come to Duke, but what really turned the Duke program around, in the pregame, guys are all in the locker room getting, getting ready to go out to the court. All the lights go out in the locker room except for one candle in the middle. And Coach Krzyzewski just steps to the candle and says, I didn't come here to praise Caesar. I came here to bury him. And he blows out the candle. <laughs> so Henderson said that the team was so fired up that they went out, and they were actually not, they were, it was kind of a tight, floppy game early first half, but they come in at halftime, and Krzyzewski just sort of, sort of gets on the guards that you've got the best big man in the country, not the ACC, in the country, in Gene Banks, and let this man go off, get him the ball. And they did that, and they ended up beating North Carolina, and that's what really kind of sort of turned that program around in Coach Henderson's eyes, was, was that game and, and, and that thing. Interesting. But, yep. um, now, Gene Banks was a, was a huge figure uh, in, in, the history of Duke basketball. I mean, he was, you know, they had, they had not had many African-American players at Duke. Uh, and so when they recruited him, uh, it was a big, big deal. And he was their first African-American All-American. Uh, and he had a great, he had one year and one year that he, and he, he led the ACC in scoring and outscored both James Worthy and Ralph Sampson. So that, I mean, that's how, that's yeah. how, that's how great a player Gene Banks was and a very, yeah. very big figure in the history of Duke basketball. Yeah, we all, of course, wish he had come to the Big Five, but he, he went on to greatness there, of course. Yep. Now, what, quick, quick, listen, with the, the draft, and, and, and Wayne, I've been enjoying listening to, to you guys talk about your, your draft previews over the last couple of weekends, but maybe this is a separate list. I think the Eagles, the first question they should ask is not how to draft, but, or who to draft, but how to win. Answer that question first, and I would ask you two, what would you say if you were the owner of the Eagles, owners of the Eagles, and how would you answer the question, this is how we, we consistently win or consistently make ourselves a championship contender, and because this is how we do this, here's the players we would draft. Gray, I'm, I'm not exactly sure where, this, where to take this thing. Well, I think that um, I do believe, I think the point that Peter's kind of driving at is the idea of, of uh, understanding how to win and what's involved in winning. Uh, and... Uh, I know that when Chuck Knoll began rebuilding the Steelers, and he took over the Steelers, they had never won a playoff game in their history. Yeah. Had never won a playoff game. And when they hired Chuck Knoll, he said, the only way we're going to rebuild this is with the guys who know how to win because there's nobody here right now that knows how to win because you never have. And so the one consistent thing through all of Knoll's drafts in those early years when he built the team that dominated the 70s was everybody that he drafted came from a winning program. Uh, all of these guys, have, that was the one, whether they came from a big college or a small college, they all came from winning programs because he believed that winning was something you learned how to do. 
And, uh, and so he wanted those guys to come in with that knowledge and the ability of feeling like winners and having one and knowing what the idea of winning felt like. And so that's why he drafted Joe Green and Lynn Swan and Bradshaw. Even though they, some of them came from small colleges, they were all winners in college. And that's how he built a winning environment in a place that had never won. I do think there's, I do think there's some value to that. I really do. Okay. 215-592-9494. Ray your Glenn Mack. Now, coming up at noon, we're going to talk to Derek Bodner about what is a very strange time for the Sixers. Huge win yesterday, but uh, maybe some reason to be concerned as they move toward the playoffs. We'll see if what Derek has to say, and we will take your calls. Ray and Glenn on 94 WIP. With Labushkin as well. Good work by Lindbach. Back to gets there. Centers it. Back out. It comes to York for the shot block. He waited too long. Now it bounces to Provorov. Back in and around for Hayes. Hayes for Provorov. He scores. Ray, a rare Flyers highlight. <laughs> Provorov, big game for Provorov yesterday. Yeah, two goals. Yeah, uh, but they lost six to three, six to three at home to Toronto. Back after 12 days on the road, boy. Um, so I, I bring the Flyers up for one thing, and you and I discussed this a little bit yesterday, and I was surprised to learn that this became as controversial as it did. Keith Yandel, Flyers defenseman. And allow me to use the word defenseman loosely uh, because he is he's a turnstile back there. And um, he, however, holds set earlier this year and holds the NHL record for most consecutive games played, 989, which is pretty amazing in hockey. That's 12-plus seasons, right, if you do the math? Mm -hmm. Dates back to to 2009. And um, yesterday, the coach, I'm thinking didn't do this without talking to the GM, but the coach, Mike Yo, said, you know what? Uh, Everybody who's playing, get up. Not so fast, Keith. And they sat him, and the streak ended at, uh, what did I say, 989 games. And I thought, hey, this is what had to happen. He's not playing well. They brought up a kid they wanted to try and see what he could do. And it became a huge issue around the NHL. I'm going to read you. This is Jeremy Roenick, our old friend. And, Ray, the theme today being another guest on Tell Us Your Story. Yeah. Jeremy Roenick. I never thought I'd be this disappointed in the Flyers, one of my favorite teams ever. Scratching Yandel is beyond disrespectful and sends the wrong message of loyalty to players and fans of the NHL. This team is not making the playoffs. What's the message here? Mike Yo, you should be ashamed. What Keith has accomplished is truly remarkable, and to take it away from him, what free agent would ever want to play for Mike Yo again? By the way, I don't think they need to worry about that. I'm suspecting he's not going to be the coach next year, but whatever. <laughs> the team is trying to rebuild, and you pull a move like this? Unbelievable. I'm very disappointed to be a Flyers fan right now. Ray, you uh, you on the Ronick side on this one? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, look, he, he has the streak. Good for him. You know, I mean, it's, it's not to be scoffed at. I mean, to play that many consecutive games is an accomplishment, but – Come on, the season is if you if you the chance to play some younger players and and give them an opportunity now. I mean, it's yeah. I, I have I have no I had no problem with it. I real I really didn't. I really I really didn't. I mean, if you're if the idea is to try and 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 has say that his consecutive game streak is some sort of a a highlight 
within this miserable season, it's a season without highlights. To me, there was yeah. only one, and that was you know that was the night they honored Giroux. Everything else has been a slog, and and he's not he's not a good player. Hasn't no, been for terrible. a long time. Terrible. And so you know, so what's the point? I mean, he's he's got the consecutive game streak. Good for him. But this is a chance to bring in some younger players and let them play. And I. I had no problem with it whatsoever. I mean, I, I never even thought it. I never even thought it was a thing. I really yeah. didn't. Well, it was. You, you again. You and I talked about it very briefly yesterday, and I'm on the same side as you. And we thought, like, okay, well, that, nobody's going to mind that. And then it became around the league this this issue of the Flyers being disrespectful to the streak. And yeah, the guy can't play anymore. You know, once upon a time, he was a very good player. He was a terrible signing by the team this year. Uh, indicative of many that they made. And as you said, they wanted to try a new kid. They, they brought up a kid out of Western Michigan University, played his first game, and that's it. That's, you know, you don't keep a streak going for the sake of a streak. So right. there you have it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't think this was, you know, to me this was not like Eli Manning being benched by the Giants. I mean, it's, you know. That's, right, he's just passing through town anyway. Yeah, exactly. The guy has no real history here. He's you know he's a journeyman player at the end of a journeyman career. I mean, that's the kind of thing that happens. I mean, it's a coach's decision, and I, I you know, I, I never thought, you know, what's what's disrespectful is the way this team has trashed the what the Flyers stand for over the course of, and that's been an, that's been an ongoing story from from the beginning of the season to today. That's if you want to talk about disrespect. That's where your disrespect is. The team that they've built in comparison to what they used to be. That's what's disrespectful. Agreed. Uh, let's talk to Morris in Haddon Heights. You're on with Rain Glenn. Uh, I just want to say, first of all, that um, this must be the only radio station where the weekend hosts are every bit as good as the regular weekday hosts. Uh, you're very kind. Thanks, Thanks Morris. And, and, and I... Uh, I followed both of you for years and years. Um, and the only great injustice I can see is Ray is, Ray is just not an expert on the Eagles. He seems to be an expert on every sport. No doubt about it. It is. It is. A, a, I mean, I know that you know who Norm Snead, uh, King Cannon, and King Hill were. Right. Um, I started with Jurgensen. That's when I started following him. But I can tell you that you guys are an absolute pleasure to listen to, um, have a good uh, rapport between each other, and um, that uh, it just is something I look forward to. And I, 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 the only other thing I wanted to ask you before I get off is um, it'll never happen because the owners control the league. But in the NFL, the way you do it to keep teams competitive is that the owner – uh, has 10 years to get them in the playoffs <laughs> once. And if they have a 10-year streak where they don't make the playoffs, they have to sell the team. <laughs> hey, Morris, I got to tell you, you know, you, know who's, um, you know who first broached that to me? Was oh. none, none other than Michael Barkan. That, oh, yeah. Really? That's, that's the Michael Barkan rule. And he said that that's the way it should be in all sports, that if oh, someone – yeah, you and Michael Barkan think along exactly the same lines. He said if, it, if an owner buys a team, he has 10 years to get that team into the playoffs. If they don't, he the league steps in and forces him to sell the team. Not at a loss. Allow him to make his money. Nobody's but, ever going to sell but, at a loss. But the franchise, but, but and that wouldn't happen, but, but the, the franchise, and Michael's point, and I think it's your point too, Morris, is that a fan base – 
should not be held hostage by an incompetent owner. That you have 10 years to get your team into the playoffs at least once. And if you can't do that, the league steps in and says, sorry, you had your chance, sell the team, and let's bring somebody else in. You know what I wish American sports had? What's that? Relegation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I do. I mean, the only one I guess you could do it with is baseball, right? Right. You know, this this year, the, the worst team in the major leagues moves down and the Louisville Redbirds move up or something like that. Mm-hmm. That That's a, an aspect, and I'm not a soccer fan, but that is an aspect of British soccer that I think is great. For people who don't know what that means, and I don't know the details of it, but essentially they have – It's the, the Ted league. Lasso rule. It's the Ted Lasso rule, <laughs> right. The leagues are basically um, – there's the Premier League, and then there's the next league down, and then there's the next league down. I don't know what they are, but if you finish in last in your league, you drop – to the lower level league, you drop from the majors to AAA more or less, and another team moves up. And I think that's brilliant. It's so much incentive not to tank. Yeah, I know. I think it's great. I think mm-hmm. it's great. Of course, yeah. in the NHL this year, you might have <laughs> you might have the Flyers dropping out. That's it. Yeah, it's the Flyers next year get to play in the AHL. Hershey <laughs> moves up or whatever. I'm not even. I'm not even sure there'd be any good down there. <laughs> Two one. Uh, actually, we got time for another call. Let's get Nick in Collegeville. You're on with uh, Ray and Glenn. Hi, Nick. Hey guys. I'll go quick since you're up against the. Uh, yeah, we're good. Break. We're good. We're, no, okay. we're good. First of all, I thought I'd be drinking some Kajahawk uh, and Brewing Cupping beer until the guy stole. I think the winner. I, I think that's no, a you bad. can. It's it's not. It ain't locked in. You I, give it a shot. I searched. I listen. I, I try to remember, and every time I came up with another game that was as good, almost as good as that Buffalo. Uh, KC game. It, they were championship. Please games, understand, I am the judge today, and I am you know by genetics a uh, Buffalo Bills fan, so I could be swayed. Okay, I you know I'm throwing the blank, but uh, I'll, I'll go on to my points. First right, of all, you could tell you, you guys are doing a great job because you you guys you got three callers that hit all all the topics, which is no, we're not a Philadelphia team. When I, I'm 53. Forget about it. If you still think that way. I consider myself almost old now. Mm-hmm. If you think that way, then forget about it. Just forget. Stop following Philly sports. Two, I can't. Coach K overrated. That's I can't stand Coach K. I can't stand any blue blood. I can't stand any team that stays starts with a K. Kansas, Kentucky, um, you know, all the big boys. North Carolina. But say Coach Coach K is overrated. It's absurd. But I'll say this: Jay Wright has done much better in the last fifteen, twenty years with lesser talent in a micro small team in college basketball than any other blue blood. So I think Jay Wright's better than the so-called overrated coach. Hey, and my last point is, I think, let me, let me just say this. Yeah. I think with, with Krzyzewski retiring, I think Jay Wright assumes the mantle of the top coach in college basketball. Listen, there are he, the guy. There's no doubt. Yeah. Well, well I mean, there are others yeah. who you could, you could argue for Bill self, you know, last night you saw the guy from Kansas, certainly he did well, deserve he, some he, consideration, well, but so many first round and second round losses in a program. Yeah, that's true. He's disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And coach, I think, and look, I think coach Jay Wright K, now kind of takes that spot. I yeah. Think. I mean, coach K and, and Jay Wright both lost last night, which means Jay Wright had a better season because it, it was down a player. And is, again, he's, he's in that small, tiny school one. Anyway, and my last point is, like I said, I love Nova over any other local basketball team and any only other national college basketball team. But to say that Nova was in that game yesterday, I mean, I think the, game, the spread was six. They were down six and six and a half seconds, and they never smelled six until there was five or six minutes left in the game. And that's 
that six or six or seven point law deficit disappeared in a millisecond. They were not in that game. If you want to argue they were down their second best player and they were not supposed to win that game, you're right. But you yeah, can't were say that. Yeah, but that's a whole were, different discussion. You're yeah, right. And, well, you and can't thanks, say they Nick. were in that game. They no, were they were never not. in that game. That was they were not. I think so. the, the caller who said that earlier, I think it was you know kind of him watching the game as a Nova fan, hoping and wishing. Exactly. That, he, that this was going to happen, and so that certainly colored his opinion on it. But and listen, you and I are rooting for Nova, but I, there was there was not a second in the other after the first tip off, and Kansas scores. I think Villanova turned the ball over right at the very beginning. Kansas scored, but whatever. From, from the point it was two to nothing, there was never a, a moment where I thought like, hey, you know what, Villanova's going to win this game. Yeah, no, I, I, they got it to six, and uh, I was rooting for them, but I never felt like – to me, Kansas was in control of that game from wire to wire. Mm-hmm. That, that was how it felt to me. Indeed. Um, you know what? I'm going to sneak Al in Virginia here. I don't want him to have to wait another segment. So, Al, you want to talk about wide receivers on the Eagles. They need them. Yes, I was wondering if the Eagles go uh, defense first round, would the uh, – could there be a receiver in the second round that uh, could help the Eagles? And also, Ray, well, would you on. think that John... one at a time. Hold on, no rush. Okay. Ray, right. you uh, did your wide receiver preview, I believe, I did. last week. Was there a guy that you say, like, good second-round fit? Christian Watson. Tell us more. Christian Watson. Um, well, the problem is I think he's liable to sneak into the first round. He was actually one of my sleepers uh, until, he got to the, until he got to the senior bowl. He's, uh, he's from a small school. He's from North Dakota State. Sound familiar? Um, right. He's from North Dakota State, um, and had a, and was a great receiver there, um, and was kind of on my sleeper list. But then he went to the Senior Bowl and was probably the best one of the best receivers at the Senior Bowl. So I don't know that he qualifies as a sleeper anymore. But he's a guy that I think would be there in the second round, should be. Uh, and uh, six feet four, two hundred and ten pounds, ran a four four forty, and caught everything at Mobile. Uh, I think he's legit. I mean, he's a small college player, but I think he's big college talent. And if you're talking about a wide receiver that could be there in the second round, mm, yeah, I think Christian Watson is the guy that speaks to me. Okay, and I do have a uh, best game of the last 10 years. Sure. NCAA semifinal last year, Gonzaga-UCLA. Oh, that was a good game. Yeah, that was, that was a semifinal, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Hey, I uh, you're in consideration. I like it. Thank you. Thank you. Again, I'd love to not vote for the Chiefs over Bills. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, we'll leave it open. I think I think right now, to be honest with you, I think right now that's probably the leader in the clubhouse. But yeah. we got another hour to go. Yeah, it's a big clubhouse. 215-592-9494. Coming up, we're going to talk to Derek Bodner, Godner, Mr. Sixers coverage, and find out what is what did he think? It was yesterday a snap out of it game, or is this team in some trouble? Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Canelo with eight. Matisse, another steal. Hands it off to Harris. Device back to Matisse. To pull it back out. Harden, trail three. Count it! Well, that's Sixers against the Charlotte Hornets yesterday, which was a th- thrashing, particularly in the second half. Sixers win by 30 at the Wells Fargo Center. Derek Bodner uh, joins us now. Derek is the proprietor, owner, what's the word I'm looking for? Sixers reporter with his venture, the Daily Six Newsletter. Derek, what's the title I should call you by? Uh, I don't know. Okay. Reporter works. There you go. So they win by 30 over Charlotte yesterday, so all of the problems are solved. Bring on the playoffs 
nothing to worry about, right? Oh, no, I have plenty to worry about. But oh. I, I worry about everything, but I think some of these might be justified. <laughs> okay, well, uh, let, let us start with the question of who they have in James Harden when he came here. It looked so great those first couple days, first couple games, and more recently it's like, wait a second, I'm not sure we got what we thought. What do you see right now? Yeah, I think he doesn't look... You know, I think when you go back to when he looks great and when he struggles, a lot of that comes down to how the other team defends him. And early on, you know, those games against the Knicks, the games against the Timberwolves, they were trapping him a lot on the perimeter. Uh, and that opened up his passing, uh, that opened up Joel Embiid and his roll game and the short rolls, and that put defenses into rotation. And no matter what James Harden can do physically, he's still exceptionally skilled, exceptionally smart, and he sees the court really well. And then I think over time, teams started switching less and less. And you started to see them not switch. Or I'm sorry, they, they started trapping less and less. And instead of switching all of those ball screens on the perimeter. Started off with the screens with Tobias Harris and George Niang. And teams would switch that rather than trap that. So that way they wouldn't be put into a rotation. And then against Pistons, they were switching even the Harden and Embiid pick and rolls. And when that doesn't happen, it forces Harden to try to take a center, in this case Isaiah Stewart, off the dribble. And he just doesn't look like he has the burst that he had in previous years. I do worry or wonder a little bit how much of that is related to his hamstring. I go back even just watching to watching him last year when he was with the Brooklyn Nets before the hamstring injury. He looked like a different player physically. Mm. Uh, so I do think there's a little bit of hope that maybe next year he could be a little better athletically. But until that happens, he doesn't create off the dribble nearly as much as he did, and he becomes easier to defend. Yeah, that's. I think you put your finger kind of what on what I was wondering and what I was going to ask you about was his physical condition right now. Um, it looks to me, it looks to me like he's playing to, to some degree hurt. Um, and I, I don't know. You know, trying to compare him to the Harden that was an MVP and a scoring champ at Houston is probably sure. not fair because I mean, there's, that that was a while ago. So there's, you know, just age is probably part of it. But um, you know, we knew that he had the hamstring when he when the trade was made and he came here. And I'm just wondering how much of that do you think is still contributing to what we're seeing in him now? Yeah, I mean, you know, Harden has taken a couple games off uh, to manage the hamstring. Uh, they have mentioned that they, it is still something that they are, um, you know, dealing with. He has mentioned that it is still something that has an impact on him. Uh, and I think based on what I've seen, I would take them at his word. And I agree with you. Like, it's part of it. It's just that he's 32 now. He's not going to play like he was when he was 27 the truth of where he is is probably somewhere in the middle of what we've seen and what he used to be. But I do think that the hamstring is, he just doesn't have the burst. He'll make a gorgeous crossover move on a center and just not have the speed to burst out of that and get to the rim. And even when he does, he's, he's struggled to you know finish at the rim. Um, yeah, I, I think he's not 100% there physically. And that, first of all, that obviously impacts the playoff run because the hamstring is not going to get better when you're playing every other night for weeks and essentially months on end, mm -hmm. but also you can't even really test that hypothesis until you give him what might be the most terrifying contract in league history. So it's not a, it's not perfect. So Thursday night after the loss, uh, when the bench scored five points, eight points, I forget, virtually no it was, points. Yeah, it was eight points with a meaningless three-pointer at yeah, the end, so we're basically it. saying five. Okay, so Doc Rivers is asked after the, after the game, like, you know, what, what was the problem with your bench? And it certainly seemed to me that his quote – said it wasn't the bench, it was James Harden taking all of those shots. Uh, am I interpreting that correctly? And what, like, What's the message, what's the point of Doc doing that? Yeah, I mean, there, there's been some debate over whether or not Doc was saying, 
you know, blaming James Harden for the bench not playing well or just explaining that James took all the shots so the bench didn't have shots to play well with. It sounds like we're splitting hairs a little bit, but I think when you go back and listen to the rest of that press conference, he was talking about how the Sixers were playing too much isolation, heavy basketball, too much hero ball. And when you put the two together, it seemed like a pretty fair conclusion that he was criticizing James Harden. Now, what's he looking to get out of that? I, I, I don't know. Like, if he yeah. gets into a you know, contest with James Harden, he's not winning that one. First right. of all, James Harden isn't going to change who he is as a basketball player at this point. Um, it does seem in, an interesting tactic, I guess is the way I would phrase it. Yeah, and, yeah, I don't know. And, you know, which who has better job security of the two? Oh, Harden for sure. For right? Sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, and, and like I said, it would be one thing if if those comments to the media would get James to change his style of play, but James is who he is for the most part. Like yeah. maybe you can move him a little bit on the edges, but he's you know he's a pretty established player for sure. Doc, I, Doc's news conferences are interesting because he often says stuff that I feel like maybe there's supposed to be a message there, but I don't get it. And this was, one I mean, of I those think if, if I was going to boil it down in the most simplified form, I think it's, I don't like this heat that I'm getting. So let's respond to that. Yeah. Okay. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. I, it, it, especially the two games, um, and we, you know, Glenn and I talked about it last week, and I thought the two, I really kind of wanted to see how the game in Phoenix would go. And then the game home against Milwaukee. Cause to me, you know, those were going to be two games, regular season games that would have a playoff kind of feel to them. Uh, that's kind of what I expected. And I kind of thought this would be a good measuring stick for exactly where the Sixers are, and they wind up losing both of them. Now the Milwaukee game comes right down to the end. But what what, what you're seeing now, and, and you saw it again in the Detroit game, which is just abysmal, was how much the Sixers were becoming like a half-court offense kind of team. Kind of, you know, moving the ball up and walking it up and then Harden setting the ball at the top, and then it became it became a very half court kind of team. And when they're when they're playing that kind of ball, Tobias Harris is like a non factor. Uh, now, yesterday when they opened it up, especially in the second half and began running, you know, Harris played well. But um, I'm just wondering, do you think even at this point he's still trying to find his way in this new offensive configuration? Are you talking about Tobias here or James? Yeah, no, Tobias. Yeah, for sure. Uh, he's and he took a bunch of threes the other night against Charlotte. I forget exactly how many it was, but I think he set his certainly a season high with I think five made threes. That's not really his game. He can shoot threes, but he's not comfortable being a high volume three point shooter. And right now they are asking him to do that. That's where most of his touches, most of his shots are coming from. Rather than the pick and rolls he was getting earlier in the year, yet rather than the post ups he was getting earlier in the year, he needs to be comfortable shooting uh, a high volume of three point shots above the break. And I think he's done a little bit better of that recently. I do agree with you. They need to push the ball in transition, in part because that gives Tobias a little bit more time to get that shot off before the defense can react. And I think Tobias needs a second or two to get that shot off, but in part because it allows James to attack before the defense is set. He can't have the burst that he used to have. Going against an unset defense will help. Um, So, yeah, I certainly agree that they need to push the ball. I think they did a better job of that, certainly against the Hornets the other night. Um, and I think it helps get Tobias into a groove, but I think he is still certainly adapting to his role. This is a very different role with a different skill set than he has played in the past. And while he's been an okay shooter, sometimes a good shooter, the volume of it is, I think, what he has to adjust to more than anything. Derek Bodner is our guest. You can follow him on Twitter at Derek Bodner NBA Sixers reporter for the Daily Six newsletter. As we sit here at this moment, the Sixers, with five games to go in their season, are in fourth place in the East, but they're a game out of second place and two games out of sixth place. So it's very fluid. Um, Let me get your assessment. First round of the playoffs, considering the possibilities, who do they want to play and who do they not want to play? 
Yeah, well, in terms of just first round, it gets a little trickier when you start trying to then project out to the second round. Um, but I think the teams that you would want to play are Chicago and, and Cleveland. Uh, they yeah. had a lot of success against both of those teams. Neither of those teams right now are playing at their highest level. And the Sixers match up well. Joel Embiid has, has had a lot of success against those two teams. Uh, the Raptors are on the other end of the spectrum, and the Sixers should have a clear talent advantage against them. But the Raptors are probably the archetype of a team that could make um, James Harden's life difficult. They have a lot of long, big, rangy defenders who can switch everything, and that's exactly what uh, Harden has struggled with so far. And also, Nick Nurse is really creative in how he sends double teams to Joel Embiid's way. So that is the team. And again, Sixers should have enough talent that they can overcome that. But if you're going to get into a, a series where you're sitting there at home going, wow, that's really frustrating to watch, Toronto's probably that team. And then there's a wild card, the Nets, who are yeah. right now in the 10th spot, who would have to, if the season ended today, win two games to even make the playoffs, but are perhaps the scariest of them all. Um, so I think Cleveland and Chicago are the two that you want. That is interesting that you said that you say the Nets, because I think that um, – that's kind of Glenn and I have talked about that, and that's kind of how we feel. Um, I, I know there are fans out there that would love to see it be the Nets, just because, and, and whether or not Simmons gets on the court. I mean, you've got that whole storyline to play out. But I, for the Sixers, to me, that would be a, that would be a matchup I would want to avoid. I know, I know, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful storyline. We could have a lot of fun debating it, whether or not Simmons plays. But I, I just think, from a matchup standpoint, that's not it. I don't want to be dealing with Kevin Durant at this point in the season. Mm. If I, any way I can avoid him, I want to avoid him. Yeah, and look, they you know that, that game a couple of weeks ago was worst case scenario for the Sixers. They played as bad offensively as you will see them play. Um, and I think if you had a seven game series, Harden and Embiid, like that's not the kind of defense that I think is going to ca- cause Harden and Embiid problems. The Sixers should be much more competitive than they were back a couple of weeks ago. But certainly, like, you just don't have anyone, not that anyone really does have anyone defend Kevin Durant, but you don't have anyone defend either Durant or Irving. You expect them to have a lot of success against you. That would be tough, for sure. For sure. All right, last one. Uh, Derek, news comes out yesterday morning uh, that uh, Ben Simmons is moving forward with the grievance against the Sixers for what is it, $20 million. He's got the support of the Players Union. This thing can't succeed, can it? I don't think it will. Um, you know, I think it's something where they almost have to file it just to save face a little bit. And because I think the players union wants him to file it for sure. But no, I don't think there's any real leg they have to stand on, but I'm not a lawyer and crazy stuff happens. So we'll see. But no, I would expect that the Sixers should have the upper hand in this. Not that I really care too much about Josh Harris's money. I'm sure he's fine (laughs) either way, but as a precedent, you, you would, you would not want to see this precedent set. And I think, uh, I, I think a six would come out on top. Yeah, I don't, I don't care about Josh Harris's money, but I don't want a guy who found every excuse not to play because he was insulted yep. in the end play the mental health card and win. That, uh, I don't want to see that at all. Derek, how do people subscribe to the newsletter? Easiest way, just go to Twitter at Derek Bonner NBA. Um, also, DailySix.com. Very good. Thanks for joining us as always, man. Yep, my pleasure. Anytime. All right. Thanks, Derek. Well, there you go. Yeah, Ray, we didn't really discuss that um, grievance yesterday. It came out right before we went on the show because it just seems laughable. Yeah, that's how I felt about it. But as Derek said, you never you never know. No, you do never know. I mean, on its, on its face, you read that and, and you just roll your eyes and say, oh, come on. But, you know, I mean, who knows? I mean, <laughs> who knows? Mm-hmm. I mean, it just – but, the, you know, I mean, there are many, many things about Ben Simmons that just drive me crazy. 
Um, some of those I've enumerated on our air. I believe uh, the look on his face tops the list. Yeah, but I mean, uh, to me, the thing that uh, I think I find most bothers them is the one that you just touched on, which is this whole mental health thing. I mean, to me, it's just to me, it's just so offensive that he's using that as uh, to prop up his 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 grievance here. When in fact, there are so many people in our society now that in their families and in their lives are dealing with true mental health issues. Uh, for him to for him to use that, um, I, I just find that, uh, that bothers me more than anything. I think, yeah, probably. he arrived late at it after trying, you know, several other things. It's, it's, it, it, it was not that right from the beginning. He said, like, you know, I've got this issue and so on. It's like it was, it was after they stopped his pay. It was kind of the last resort that he pulled out of his hat. Yeah, I mean, after or pulled after, out of something. Yeah, after he comes back and after he won't practice and he's standing around and yeah, with a cell phone in his pocket. Yeah, with a cell phone in his pocket, and right. Doc finally sends him home. And okay, and you know, you know what? If you don't even want to practice, we're not going to pay you. Oh, all of a sudden now it becomes a mental health issue. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I just have no, I just have no patience for that sort of thing. Patrick in Newark is with us. What's on your mind, Patrick? Hey guys, I hey. totally agree with your assessment of Ben Simmons. It, it's almost like he checked out a long time ago and like played every card he could, as if To did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that that's yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Like, and, I, and how much of it was how much of it was him, and how much of it was his agent, and how much of you know his, the, the people around him manipulating this whole situation? But I just find the whole thing distasteful. Yeah, it's pretty rough. To like live through when like you're a regular guy, you know, like watching sports, you enjoy it, and this guy's, you know, making lots and lots of money, which you, you can't throw it all at the right. money. They they got in the business, and uh, no, I didn't. But you know, it, it's it's a little bit disturbing. Like when it you, is, it's it's not right. Did you have something on the Flyers as well? Oh, oh, the Flyers are a disaster. Um, they, I mean, they're going to be bad for five years. And the Sixers, who the heck knows? But I did have a game for you. Yeah, go for it. How about that game when Frank Wright came back from, like, down 33 points? Well, that wasn't what? within the last 10 years. That was uh, that was a long time before then. I was at I covered that game for the Inquirer, Ray. I know you did. Uh, and Frank Reich was uh, the quarterback for the Bills who were down to the then Houston Oilers. Mm-hmm. And what I'll always remember about that game is I'm in the press box right at halftime. And I don't remember the name of the guy. He was the traveling secretary for the Oilers. And he gets on the phone and loudly in the press box so that everybody around him could hear said, Yes, I'd like to book a plane to Kansas City. I think it was Kansas City. Next week for our party of 100. Yes, hi. And everybody <laughs> hears it. And then by the fourth quarter, he was sitting like in a row behind me. He gets back on the phone. He goes like, uh, yes, uh, can we uh, cancel that? Can we put that flight on hold, please? <laughs> yeah, I was, watching that. I was watching that on a TV uh, in the press room at the Superdome because we were getting ready for Eagles Saints, oh. which turned out hey, to well, be, that was the win, right? Which that was turned out to be win? another big comeback game when the Eagles came from behind to beat the Saints. Yeah. Uh, but, of course, it was totally, oversh- totally overshadowed by what happened in Buffalo. Yeah, well, there you go. Two one five five nine two. 9494, Ray Dinger, Glenn Macknell. We'll get your calls coming up in the next segment. Maybe 
Talk a little Tiger Woods, Ray. Could it be now? Well, we'll start starting to look that way. Yeah, Ray and Glenn on ninety four WIP. Ray Didinger, Glenn Mack. Now we'll get back to the phones in a moment. Two things I wanted to bring up, Ray. And the first one, it's, it's like it, it means nothing to you. I don't want to say it means nothing to you, but it's it's not going to really resonate with you. Nor our producer Moshe Kravitz, who was not a big watcher of Seinfeld, but for the many, many, many millions of us who uh, watched Seinfeld over all those years. Um, the passing of Estelle Harris, who played Mrs. Costanza, Estelle Costanza, uh, George's mother, uh, saddened me yesterday. She was such a great TV character. His parents were were just amazing um, on that show as secondary characters, um, Jerry Stiller and Estelle Harris. And she was – I just – they were a big part of the show, and so I just wanted to mention that. And, and wish you watched the show so that I could discuss it, but that's okay. <laughs> no, I, uh, I'm familiar with her. I know I know her. I've seen her. She's an, been an actress on television and films for a long, long time. She's a really, really good actress. I, yeah, I you know what I that. saw her in um, not that long ago? You know the uh, the gangster movie Once Upon a Time in America? Sure. Yeah, she's in that. <laughs> it's like a dramatic role. It was interesting to see yeah, in that. Yeah, by the way, uh, speaking of... Uh, people who have passed I, I meant to mention this last week and i just wanted to acknowledge the passing of a, of a good friend of i think both of us i mean me for sure and i think i'm sure you knew him was john clayton yeah um who yeah, was one of the best yeah it was really a terrific football writer i first met him in when he was covering the steelers back in the steel curtain days in the 70s just i met john then he was working in pittsburgh and then we became friends and then saw each other many times over the years and Everybody, I think he became kind of a national personage because uh, he went to ESPN and they created this character called the Professor. I know he became a. T he's like the most unlikely TV star. I know, which I he mean, played he was, off of. They did those commercials where he, he's like like a rock guy. Yeah, he did, and it was real. It was really funny. I mean, the commercial they did, you know, where he he has the long hair and the ponytail and yeah. he's playing the guitar. And I mean, John got it. I mean, he understood that. You know, he, he he was sort of this funny Mr. Peepers-looking kind of guy with the glasses, and he was okay with that. But I, he he really loved football, and he really knew football. And I used to talk to John. John was one of my go-to guys when I was looking for information, um, and then went on and had a really, really fine career at ESPN, both TV and radio. And um, I was very sorry when I saw that uh, last week he passed yeah. at, the, at the far too young age of 67. No question. Uh, okay, so the other news that's going to be really interesting this week is Tiger's lurking, Ray. Mm -hmm. uh, Masters begins this this week, and it's all buzzing about Tiger Woods, who is listed in the field. He has not yet publicly confirmed whether he's playing, but there are lots of reports that he walked the course this last week. Yeah, he played um, a practice round. Yeah, played a practice round. Now, you know, everybody knows he missed the tournament last year. He had that, that really horrific one-car crash back in February 21. Uh, but as you said, he, he took a private plane to Augusta. He played 18 holes with his son. And um, ESPN's, Mar I almost said Mark Schlereth, Mark Schlabeck, I don't know who that is, but reported that, uh, quote, Woods looked good walking the whole round which of course is the consideration after the after the accident at this point it feels like he's going to play which is a fairly shocking turnaround all things considered what do you think um i saw a story yes yesterday 
where he said it will be quote a game time decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's on his way to he's on his way to Augusta today. Uh, he was going to play another practice round today uh, and see how he felt. Uh, and what people have to understand is if you've never been to Augusta, uh, if you've never been to the National, um, it's it's a very hilly course, uh, and it's it. I mean, it's a lot of up and down. I mean, this is not one of those Florida courses that's flat like a pool table. I mean, Augusta, one of the things that makes it challenging is, is the undulation of it. Uh, and so if you're going to play Augusta, you have to, you're going to be going up hills and you're going to be going down hills. Uh, and the question really was going to be how will his leg tolerate that? You know, so he had the practice round this week, said he felt pretty good. Uh, he's going to have another practice round today, see how he feels then. Uh, and if he feels like he can compete, I think he will, I think he will tee it up and go. But if he struggles and he feels like he's going to go out there and not be able to make it or it's going to be it's going to be a real struggle for him then he won't. If I were to guess right now, I'm guessing 60-40 he plays. Well, no one more than was well, CBS has it, right? Oh Nobody. god, the ratings would be Oh, huge. Uh, are you kidding me? If it would that yes. What's the ratings would be double what they would be. Yeah, cuz one of the things they're in an into golf right now is um, they're really in a transition now, uh, and they're looking for that next big star. I would say transition's a nice way to put it because they're really in a point where they have no marquee attraction. Yeah, I mean, eight eight of the top ten players right now by the world rankings are under the age of 30. Mm-hmm. So you've got guys who can really play, but nobody knows who they are. Right, I mean, if, if I asked you right now, who do you think is the number one ranked player in the world? I have no idea. Scotty Schiffler. You think there's anybody not, has any wait, idea who he is? Yeah, he he's the one from American Pie. Uh, uh, no, no, <laughs> no. Schiffler's no, mom? Isn't no, 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 he's not. Oh, okay. no, he's not. But he's, he's a 25 year old kid from Texas who can really play, and yeah. he's, and he's been really good on the tour. And right now, he's the number one player, and nobody knows who he is. Yeah, and maybe listen, if he goes head to head with Tiger and beats him, that's how he becomes that guy, right? Right. Uh, and you have no Mickelson anymore because he, you know, consorted with the enemy. Right, Mickelson is, has withdrawn himself yeah. from from the competition this year because there's just so much controversy surrounding him. Um, and so they're they're kind of looking. I mean, you know, they got Dust, you know, Dustin Donson is 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 yeah, he's good. He's a top player, and you know, the, but the guy a guy like Victor Victor Hovland, the the guy from Norway, is a great player, but nobody knows who any of these guys are. So they no. need to to get the casual sports fan to watch the Masters. You need a compelling figure, and the idea of 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 Tiger coming back this year with the, with the full galleries now. Remember, two years ago, remember, there was no gallery. Yes. And then last year, there was the very limited gallery. Mm-hmm. You know, this year, you're finally going to have the old masters again with the mobs running up and down the fairways. I, I, and, I can't stand those people. And the roar of the crowd and all that stuff. It'll I be back. in the hole. Uh, yeah, 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 it'll yeah. be back. So it'll be – and, you know, Tiger – listen, Tiger has not given up on the idea of overtaking Nicholas. I don't think he will, but he said that after the accident that he was going to pick and choose his tournaments – from this point forward, the idea being that he was going to try to play the ma- the majors if he could, because he's got 15, Jack's got 18, and it's for the years people judge it was almost pre it was almost preordained. Well, he's certainly going to pass Nicholas. Yeah, he was he was on the path to do it. Yeah, yeah and now he's at, he's stuck at 15. So if he can play, he'll play. But I think I think today's practice round is going to tell us a lot. Um, it'd be a hell of a story. I mean, it's it's you know uh, I. I'm watching. Everybody'd watch. 
Let's go to Steve in Willow Grove. What's on your mind, Steve? Well, basically, um, the, the draft. Um, I was just reading an article this morning by E.J. Smith, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you guys read it, but he said Eagles could benefit from sliders, and he has, I'm just going to take the top three here, Kyle Hamilton, Kobe Dean, and Kevon Theobald. Theobald. Anyway, mm-hmm. he, he's got criticisms, all of them, and I just wonder how you guys would respond to it. He said, number one, Kyle Hamilton, and I'm summarizing this, is too slow, that he his uh, time is a 4-7 in the 40, and that will scare people off. On the Kobe Dean, basically he says that uh, he has trouble shedding uh, off blockers, uh, larger interior linemen, um, and again, on basically he said um he's he, he's, he's inconsistent it's, yes. that, that's the knock on Thibodeau um that he's an in and outer that he doesn't always play hard um yeah will they will they slide look um Thibodeau is not falling out of the top 10 I mean that's that's for sure I, I think he's probably still going to be a top six pick um I I would have some questions about him to be honest with you if I was picking in the top five if you look at his tape, and I'm, his name's Kayvon Thibodeau, and he went to Oregon, 6'5", 265 pounds, pure pass rusher. Um, I, I, when I watched him play, I always thought he should be a more dominant player than he was. Sometimes he would play stretches where he was unblockable. I mean, he would take over a game, and then you'd see him the next week, and he was invisible. That scares you. I mean, if you're a talent evaluator and you're going to put um, a, a third or fourth overall pick in the draft on a guy, you want to see a guy who has a high motor. Thibodeau frankly doesn't. He has a lot of physical ability, but he doesn't have a, a great motor. So is he slipping a little bit? Yeah, I mean, there were people that a few months ago thought that he was the number one pick in the draft. I remember those, the early projections, sure. Yeah, nobody's saying that now. Nobody's saying that now. But will, but how far is he going to fall? I mean, he's not going to fall anywhere near 15. Yeah. Not going to fall. And, and the Kobe Dean, the knock on the Kobe Dean is, is his size. I mean, people are concerned that he's 5'11 and a half which to a lot of people's reckoning is too small to be an impact inside linebacker in the NFL. I, I don't believe that. I mean, I think he's got, uh, tr- I think his instincts will make up for whatever he lacks in height. Uh, and he's a ferocious player. You talk about a guy who has a great motor, <laughs> you know, Nicobe Dean has a f- great motor. So I, I you know, well, he'd fall, he'll, he'll fall because of the measurables, but I have no doubt that he's going to be a good player. And Kyle Hamilton, yeah, there are questions about his speed, but I've never seen four seven. I mean, to me, the, the the number I see attached to him most often is four or five, which is plenty fast enough to be a safety. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, John is on with us. Hello, John. Hey guys, how you doing today? Hi, John. Uh, talk about talk about a treat getting to hear Ray break down Augusta National. Man, didn't sign up for that. <laughs> well, I've been there often enough, and I've walked the course often enough that uh, um, I know I know what it's like. And everybody sees the the photography of it, uh, but unless you've actually walked the course like I have, you don't really understand how challenging it is to walk it. It is it is a hilly course. It's a bucket list one for sure. One day, yep. but um, yeah, I wanted to get your guys' take. Uh, you know, if you asked me a month ago or read any mock draft, it seemed that David Ajabu was a, a surefire pick for the Eagles. The similarities, the Brandon Graham, even before the injury, were, were very similar. And we all know about drafting guys with Achilles injuries. I just wanted to see. I, I, I feel the Eagles still have their eyes on him, and Barnett was kind of an insurance policy if they draft him. How far do you think he'd slide? And and 
what round do you think is a, a willing risk to take on a guy like that? Boy, um, I've thought about this because the Eagles have the three picks, mm-hmm. uh, and they might view one as let's just take a shot with this guy. You know, let's just take a shot with him. Let's take two guys that we know can play right now, and let's take a, a shot with this guy that maybe, okay, maybe he needs a full year to recover. But when he recovers, maybe we got something really special. Well, you did that with Sidney Jones, and uh, I just, I just don't, I couldn't do it. But was I it could, the injury, or was it that Sidney Jones was not what you wanted him to be? Right? Was it that the injury kept Sidney Jones from being the player he should have been? Yeah, I think it. I, I think it did. I mean, you I, do. He you don't my, think he it was, was Sidney Jones' number, own other family? Well, I don't know I, about the off the field stuff. I I can't speak to any of that. I mean, or his want to. Yeah, the, uh, uh, not off the field, but the drive, the want to, the yeah. I mean, that's part of it. I mean, all I can tell you is based on my evaluation of him as a college player, watching a lot of tape on him, um, I had him as my number one cornerback. I had no questions about his ability. Yeah. Um, then he he blows out the Achilles. He comes back, and he looked like a totally different guy. Uh, I, he just never got it back, and that to me is you know it's a different position, but it's still to me it's an explosion position because what you want this what you want a Jabo to be what you're going to be drafting him to be is a pass rusher, yeah. and his whole game is about takeoff. It's about that first step. It's about getting to the corner, turning the corner, getting to the quarterback. That's all explosion, and to me you know. Explosion begins with the Achilles. It begins with the lower part of your leg. And I could not, in good conscience, invest a first-round draft pick on a guy who already has a torn Achilles. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't do it. No, no, a second-round pick. But I think... You think he's going to go? Um, how high do I think he'll go? Yeah, yeah. I know a lot of people think he's only going to first round. I don't. I okay. don't, because there, there was some question about it. Look, he hasn't played that much football anyway. Okay. You know, I mean, he he was he was born in Nigeria. He grew up in England. He, you know, he or Scotland. He came here. He didn't start playing football till like he was in 11th grade. Uh, he hasn't played that much football. So you combine that with the fact that he's, you know, he's a 260 pound guy with a torn Achilles right now. Um, if you want to invest a first round pick in him, good no, luck. No, second round, second round, second round. If he's there in the second round, would you take him? I would. Uh, you honestly no. Okay. I, I, if there's a player, it would have to be a situation. I look at the board. If there's a player on the board that I like better, yeah, I would take that guy. Okay. Okay. You I think would. I wouldn't even really draft think that there's going to be guys at various positions that you're going to like in the second. round. Yeah, that's kind of what my feeling is. If he was still there in the third round, yeah. then we could have the conversation. But rounds one and two, no. Got it. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. One more segment, then we got Phillies baseball coming up at you. Right, season starts in a week, Ray. Oh, you're excited. Come on. I'm thinking playoffs, Ray. <laughs> I know you are. Boom. Huh? First batter here, Schwarber. Boom. Hey, listen, Alex. We had Alex Coffee on earlier, and she didn't discount it. I mean, she there thinks they're going to be good. I'm telling you, Ray. You and me. Down at the ballpark, we'll pregame, stick around, catch a couple souvenir home runs. It's going to be a good year. <laughs> I need it so bad. I do. <laughs> Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now. We'll get a, another call or two here, and then we'll turn it over to Moshe Kravitz, find out what we forgot to talk about. Ed in Swedesboro wants to talk about the draft. Oh. What do you got, Ed? Yeah. I'd like to talk about the draft. Uh, my first-round draft choice would be this Davis kid out of Georgia. Oh, yeah. 
And I think if the Eagles do not pick him, it's going to be one of their worst drafts that they've ever missed a guy. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I, like that. I don't know that I'd go so far. David. He may go before they pick, and there are other players in the draft. Well, I'm, not, I'm always I'm not sure they're condemned to Dallas purgatory too. forever, but I do like him a lot. Would love to see him draft him. Ray, you had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with him down in Atlantic City recently. I did. Let's be true. Let's be honest. You were infatuated. Uh, I was. I was infatuated with him watching him play at Georgia. I was infatuated watching him play the game of football because uh, I do think he's a special player. I mean, six feet six, three hundred and forty pounds, who can really run. I mean, he can really move it, uh, and he's a guy that stops the run. Obviously, you can't block him. He stops the run game, but he's also quick enough and athletic enough that he gets you a big pass rush from the inside. Um, so those are, and that's, uh, you know, that was the case in college. And I think it's going to be, I think it's going to translate to the NFL. I think he's a big time player. No question. I'd love to see him. You think he's going to be there at 15? Um, I think there's a chance, you know, I really thought after his workout at the combine that he was so exceptional in every area, uh, including the interviews. Uh, I mean, people came away very impressed that I thought, yeah, you know what? I think he's now moved himself into the top 10, but now you know, we're into that same mode where everybody says, no, we're drafting edge rushers. You know, the def- interior defensive linemen will get them later. He's liable to drop. He's liable to be hanging around at 15 for the Love Eagles. It. They might have a uh, shot at him. Work for me. I agree with the caller. If they don't draft him, it's the worst draft ever. Or something, <laughs> whatever he said. John and Manny Unk, what do you got, John? Hey, Glenn, just quick, another Buffalo comment. I'm glad they're not building a dome there. That's, uh, that's, yes. That's Buffalo, uh, I, that is not a town where you want to build a dome. You, the, 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 the elements are an advantage that they have. Don't give it away. Yeah, I got a top 10 uh, game, and uh, the Phillies point my top 10 game. I think Ray will remember this. 2013 Iron Bowl, Auburn uh, uh, catches the short field goal and runs it back for a touchdown. That was a great college game. That was Glenn's. That's the one I brought up at the start of the show. That was the one he brought uh, up earlier, which was uh, which, which sorry, was a I great one. That's all right. I wasn't, I wasn't listening. To Not the a problem. That's okay. But, uh, uh, one more thing on the Phillies. Now uh, we're putting our money on Muniac. I don't really like that. I would. Uh, you think Bryce Harper could still plays that field because they, no. they just pick up the two edge outfielders? No, 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 no. Then who's your edge? Who's your right fielder? Um, uh, the, the guy from the Reds. Castellanos? Oh, no. This this would be malpractice in the outfield. Yeah, it'd be a butcher, a butcher society. <laughs> yeah, and, and you're moving Harper to a tougher spot. That's, that's That wouldn't work. No. Um, they're, look, their defense is going to be challenged enough. If Moniak can't do it, you hope Veerling can play. If Veerling can't play, you go back to Ode. Mm-hmm. You know who. Yeah, oh, yeah. Don't want to see any of that. Uh, last caller of the day, Bob and Mount Laurel. Quick, Bob. we got about 30 seconds. Good morning. Hi. Today, um, your uh, forecast for safeties earlier, Ray, yes. has taken me back more than 50 years to the draft where they've drafted my second most favorite Eagles player ever, Super Bill Bradley. <laughs> yeah, um, well, Billy uh, Billy had a great career uh, and set the team record for interceptions, led the league in interceptions twice, um, and uh, was, a, was a really, really good player. Uh, Eagles Hall of Famer and... Different type than Kyle Hamilton. Um, you know, Billy was five eleven. Kyle Hamilton six feet four. Uh, they were different, but they both had a both had a nose for the football and, and an entertaining guy on those moments when he has called us. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes lucid. Yeah. <laughs> All right, it is time to go to our producer Moshe Kravitz and find out what did we forget to talk about today, Moshe. Well, uh, some Eagles fans were overjoyed. 
this earlier this week at the news that Kelly Green jerseys will be returning in 2023. But it also came with the somewhat controversial news that the Eagles are adding black helmets to their all-black jerseys. So whenever they wear those this season, we'll be getting that just for the 2022 season. I want to see what you guys thought about the black helmets and the Kelly Green jerseys. Oh, I'm definitely deferring to Ray on this one. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I'm all in on the Kelly Green. I mean, that's that's the color that I grew up with when I first started going to Eagles games, when I went up to training camp as a kid. That's what they were wearing. They were wearing the Kelly Green jerseys and the white pants and the silver and the green helmet with the silver wings. I thought it was the best uniform in football. So that's, you know, that that's my color and I'm glad to hear them going back to it. I've never I've never liked the black. No, because the black was they were late to the black. You know, the black was the Steelers and the Raiders and a couple other teams and then everybody got the alternate black and to me you're just the black was a copycat. So yeah. I, I'm, the black does nothing for me. A lot of people like it. Does nothing for me. Yeah, I know younger people seem to like it, and I know it sells. And but to me, it, you know, black's not part of the color scheme right. of the Philadelphia Eagles. It, Kelly yeah, Green was. Yep. Mosh. What else? Uh, well, the Eagles missed out on another wide receiver yesterday. Devontae Parker and a fifth round pick to the Patriots in exchange for a third round pick going to the Miami Dolphins. Do you guys think the Eagles should have tried to? pay more for Devontae Parker. By the way, his contract is pretty minimal by standard, pretty moderate, I would say. It's $5.7 million for the next two years per year, which is not really that costly. Ray, I remember the game where he torched the Eagles a couple years ago, which is how I think a lot of people here remember him. Yeah. I think he's better than what you have, but I don't think he's a special player. No, I don't either. And I liked him. I liked him a lot coming out of college, but his pro career has been very up and down, largely due to injuries. He has trouble. He just every year he just seems to be hurt. Uh, he has those really good games, and you're right. He had one against the oh, Eagles. Killed him. Uh, yeah, and he, yeah. listen, he has that kind of talent, but he's had trouble. He's he's had injuries have really kept him from becoming the kind of player that he was capable of being. All right, Moshe, what else? Uh, well, the zombie runner, the Manfred Man, <laughs> it is back for what, another year. The Manfred Man? Of, yeah, that's oh, another, another that. name that I've heard for the uh, ghost runner, zombie oh, runner, I the Manfred Man. Yeah. Uh, but that starting extra innings with a man on second base <laughs> is back for one more season. Uh, and, Ray, feel free to uh, express your disappointment. I hate it. I don't hate it as much as you. I, I know. Don't hate it as I know. Much as you're, I think you're more, I would. You're, you're more amenable to change than I am. Yeah. Well. Yeah. That's that's for sure. Um. I, so I like it for two reasons. One is the games are just too damn long. Uh. And and if you can shorten the game, that's fine. And then the second one is one of my complaints about baseball is it doesn't make use of things like bunting and running and those strategies. And at least this is one small moment where those strategies come into play. I can't tell you I love it, but it's not one of those things that I will launch a protest against. Yeah, I think it's a silly yet exciting uh, novelty. Yeah, I'm glad they got rid of the seven-inning doubleheader games. That, that to me, was, was not good. I thought you were a proponent of that. No. No, I was a proponent of checking it out, and then I like, no, I don't, I'm, I'm not. Uh, all right, time for one more quick one, Moshe. Yeah, uh, Bruce Arians stepped down, mm. or retired, I guess, as the – Tampa Bay Buccaneers head coach. He will be remaining in their front office, but this gave Todd Bowles an opportunity as he signed a five-year contract to be the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 
I wish him well. You know, I, he did not. Um, he, you know, he stepped into a tough situation with the Jets, who are horribly mismanaged team. Hard for any coach to win up there. I don't really think he got a fair shot. And people say he wasn't a very good coach. I don't know that he had a whole lot to work with. You know, Bruce Arians, I think, made a very good decision here. I mean, he decided he was going to he, – he wanted to give – Todd Bowles is his guy. He coached him at Temple. They go back that far. And he felt like he had the capability of being a good head coach. He recognized he had a bad situation, handed to him with the Jets. Bruce Arians wanted to give him a good situation here. So by stepping aside and letting him take over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who are a really good team with a great quarterback – Bruce Arians is trying to put Todd Bowles in a position where he has a better chance to succeed. Uh, and Bruce has had his health issues. We know that. Uh, I wish him well. And he'll go to the front office. And Todd Bowles is a good guy and a really good coach. And I hope that this time that he gets the opportunity to be, a, to be a head coach because, obviously, the idea of having more African-American head coaches in the NFL, they need him. And uh, Todd Bowles is a guy that I, I'm glad he's getting his second opportunity. I sense a lot of skepticism from you on that, understandably. He did not do well his first time. Hey, congratulations to Douglas in Center City. We asked what is the best non-title game that you've seen in the last 10 years not involving a Philadelphia team. Ray, as much as I hated it, Bill's Chiefs was one that people will talk about forever. It led to a rule change in the NFL this offseason. Yes, off it did. Season. Yes, and it so did. Douglas in Center City, congratulations. You win the $25 gift card to my Conchock and Brewing Company with locations in King of Prussia, Conshohocken, Havertown, Bridgeport, and Phoenixville. Moshe Kravitz produced today. Great job by you, Moshe. Uh, Phillies baseball coming up. I think they play the, they play the Tigers every day. <laughs> so it's Phillies-Tigers uh, coming out to you this afternoon, which is always a lot of fun as we prepare for that season. Ray and I will be back next week, and everybody enjoy the day. Enjoy Phillies baseball right here on 94 WIP. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.